Kevin Durant is a Phoenix Sun, but the Dallas Mavericks have lost five of their last six games. Welcome on into the Wise Guys podcast. I'm John Tortorelli with Brandon Capizzello and Romaine Davis. Jay Ray is not making it for today's episode. How to go into work early while the Knicks are on a seven-game gear. Might be eight at this point, but welcome on in. We have much to discuss and more today. Damian Lillard and his recent hot stretch, 71 RMP ladders. Are the Lakers finished? ranking the Eastern Conference, plus our Raiders and Broncos offseason previews. Last week, we covered some NFL with, um, what was it, AFC South previews. Today, we'll begin the AFC West with the two worst teams. We also got some UFC, UFC 285. Let me tell you, it's going to take me a lot of time, like everybody else, to get accustomed to KD playing in orange and purple. Honestly, I'm a, it, it looked like a perfect fit to me. I'm not going to lie. With how, with how much players move now, I'm just like, okay, New Jersey, cool, whatever. <laughs> At this point. He's exactly right. Uh, I saw a tweet from somebody. It's going to take some getting used to. So I'm like, no, it's not. We, we have seen KD in OKC, Golden State, Brooklyn. It's it's fe- like, what are, where are we surprised? But this isn't like Dwayne Wade putting on a Chicago Bulls uniform or, or Michael Jordan putting on a Washington Wizards uni- uniform. No, this is yeah. this, this is the guy that's been this, moving. Yeah. <laughs> He's been moving. He's a martyr. Um, but yeah, I'm doing good. I cannot wait. For UFC 285, for me to preview that for you guys, John Bones Jones is returning after a three-year layoff. The GOAT, the baddest man on the planet. But let's dive into NBA basketball, baby. One thing about the UFC is I see here too many people being called the GOAT at the same time. Oh, who's really the best here? Like, Okay, well, that's just the UFC machine that whoever is the person that's fighting now, they're going to pump GOAT status because it's just the, what they do. If you're fighting for them you're the, and you're really great, they'll start calling you the GOAT. It's just how it is. But mm. the John Jones is, is the GOAT. He is number one GOAT. Mm. So in the NBA world, one player has continued to amaze me again and again this year. That being Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers. While Portland has lost seven of their last ten games, my man is coming off a 70-point heater in four quarters, first the Houston Rockets, and last night in their 121-110 loss to the Pelicans. While Brandon Ingram cooked them up for 40 points, he gave them a 40-ball of his own. Damian Lillard is clearly a first-team All-NBA performer this season. It reminds us, I think, of Steph Curry back in 2021 when that Warriors team around him was not good, and he just put on an absolute carry job. The question is, can we appreciate what Dame is doing right now, given... Portland, at 29-33, and 33, is not even on track to make the playing tournament. You just got to separate them, I think. Because I remember a stat. Dame threw 17 passes for shots last night. Guess how many assists he ended with? At this point, it's <laughs> like, even though you have, you can even say you have a qualified Jerry and Grant. He was ass. I mean, Jeremy Grant, ass. At this point, yes, I'm completely appreciative of what he's doing because he's literally, the entire defense is honing on him and he's still dropping 40. <laughs> like, it's not even a let game day his and we stop everybody else. Literally, everybody else stops himself. Just stop Dame and they can't do it. I appreciate what he's doing. He's not He's not going to leave Portland. In my eyes, I, it's better. It's more fun for me to see him drop 70 than, you know, see him go somewhere else with a superstar and, you know, quality 25, 30 at night. Like, you know, doesn't hit this. Like, yes, I would love to see him win. I'd love to see Dame win get, get one. But as of right now, knowing that he doesn't want to leave, it's a little, it's just fun to see him put up these crazy scoring games. Yeah. Um for me, I can I can uh I can 
differ between the two. I mean, I bring back, I go back to that, uh, my infamous rant um, when John brought up Damian Lillard and, and I went off about, um, you know, do teams really love you in sports? What do we play for? Play to win championships. That's why you play this le- in this league. You really think these teams are loyal? Go ask any professional athlete if these teams are really loyal. Go ask Dwayne Wade about Miami. And I'm a huge Dwayne Wade fan, and I love Miami. Go ask him what they did, how they disrespected him. And he had to spend a year in Chicago when he never should have did that. Go ask any player that these teams will throw you to the side, whether you like it or not, no matter what you did for them. They don't give a crap. Love your fans. But guess what? Fans will turn on you in an instant. The hardcores won't, but the majority of them will. So... Go ahead, Dame Lillard. Maybe they'll start giving trophies for playing winners. I don't want to talk about him anymore. Go on. Well, it was last summer because it came. It became clear the, the Trailblazers are not moving towards competing for a championship. They're kind of moving towards a rebuild stage. Uh, so I was like, Dame, what are we doing here? You know, you've made your money. He's made an insane amount of money. I'm not faulting him for that. Get your bag, man. You know what I mean? Uh, but you, you get into sports, I always thought, is if you're a competitor, you get into sports to win, you want to win a championship. And it's clear they're not going to win there anymore. But I, I, I'll, I'll separate him. I'll separate them for right now. I, I'll give Dame his praise and his love. Damian Lillard is one of the greatest players I've ever witnessed um, since I've been alive and I've been watching basketball. The man is outstanding. I mean, it sucks because, and I was thinking about this last night, he's in an era of Steph Curry. And if Steph Curry wasn't around in this era, maybe Damian Lillard would probably be the guy we looked at as the point guard for like the 2010s and 2015 and on it. But Steph really took that crown. Uh, Cause Dame can do basically anything that Curry can do. Just not as great. He, he can shoot from 30 and, and even, and, and the logo, he, he can do I, that Curry does. I, and he can honestly, Deep, deep range. I'm not gonna lie. Deep range plus thirty. I'm gonna take Dame. I can't you lie. Take Dame. I mean, I I don't think you would. I know some people would look at you and be like, "What are you talking about? Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all." And and we all get that. Like I would take Steph, but I understand where you're. Like Damien's not a scrub out there. He's making those shots. Like we all see Steph them. Normalized it, but Dame took it to the next level where he's just yes, doing it literally yes. like twice a game. <laughs> Yes, and, and Dame. People forget Dame had had jump. I mean, he he doesn't do it uh, that much anymore, driving and dunking on people. But in his younger days, that man could. Yeah, that man could it could you know he was in a dunk He wasn't job. Yeah, but he 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 could dunk on you. He could posterize you, nuts on forehead. But so we we gonna appreciate seventy one points. Uh, this game is that the highest for this season, or or was the tied Donovan tied with Dimitri tied with Don? Yeah, because I know Don uh, somebody else scored seven, so it's. Phenomenal performances. Uh, they okay, good. Thank, thank God they won that game because sometimes when they, the Rockets, I know sometimes, but sometimes when, uh, yeah, it's it's just bad because I remember Devin Booker when he dropped his his big uh seventy point, they lost, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, he, to be uh, fair to Devin have... Booker, real quick, he was literally at 50 points. They're down by 15, and they're like, all right, we're gonna keep hitting the ball. The Celtics kept scoring. That game was never competitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, the thing about yeah, the thing about that one, yeah, people try to compare them, but I'm just like, yeah, they were both bad teams. One of them won, and the other one, he shouldn't have gotten to 70. And the game was out of reach, and they should have subbed him out. Like Devin yeah. Booker shouldn't have been in that game, but they're yeah. just like, you know, what, let's see how far he can go. Yeah. So I, 
I feel I, I, I got to be honest. I know I went off on him last year, um, but I, I got to be honest. I do feel somewhat bad for Dame because I, I do think to Romain's point, like it, it would be so great to see him on a, on a championship contending team and to see what like like those the moments that we we wish we could have saw Carmelo on the biggest stage, the finals and see what if anything would because we feel I, well, me personally, I feel Carmelo was built for that type of moment. And I would have just loved to seen a prime mellow on that stage. Dame, I feel but as he was player. he was in the conference finals against Kobe. Yes, but he was still a baby at that point. I I I, I get what you're saying. Wait, 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 wait. What year was it? Was that was that oh nine? That was oh nine, right? Yes. Yep. Okay, but that was you were building up to LeBron and Kobe in the finals. I don't guess. Yeah, I don't feel like that's 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 fair to like give him a pat just because. I th- what was he like? Twenty five at the time, I think. Yeah. Or no, Melo. Well, I, I, I give you that. That's that's a that's a it's a it's a fair point. It's a fair point. But that again, that was the only time we did see him on that stage. Like uh, we didn't, we didn't, he didn't get to like, you know, I guess black, a better word, uh, re- revenge that performance or, or put on a better showing in another Neither players play in the NBA finals. Yeah. We only got to see him there. And I, I just feel like Dame is the same way to me. Dame is built for those type of moments. And I would love to, cause we, yeah, we did see Dame in the conference finals a couple of years ago and they got freaking swept. They, they had a lead, I think going into every fourth quarter of that game, they had the lead and they lost, uh, so I think we all agree, yes, we would love to see. But I wanted to ask you this, Romain, because you brought up if he was with Joel. I don't think that in that pairing, I don't think Dame would be looked at as the number one. I think a lot of people would say that's Joel's team and Joel would get more of the love and credit uh, for, for those championships. I think in that situation, with how much of it, well, how much Dame has the ball in his hands already, I think it'd be he would have the ball in his You'd be a one a one a one b type thing. Like with him, I think they'd both be close to averaging thirty. Yes, because with him and Harden, Harden's oh. just so much better of a playmaker that he's in the point guard spot. But like, it's just like the Harden's impact and Joel's impact at the same time is like almost the same for the Sixers. Not exactly the same. Joel's a little bit more, but it's almost it's not a one two thing. It's more of a one a one b type thing. I I, so I, feel, I just want him to be in a situation where somebody just close to his level, or at least either a little bit better than him or a little bit worse than him, but just somebody close to his level. Yes. Like CJ, CJ is a perennial all-star, nowhere close to that level. I'm no, sorry. No, no, no. They're, yeah, the, they, I mean. closest he's had was like LaMarcus. And that's Marcus the thing. Was that was when he was a baby. Dame hasn't yeah. played with an all-star since 2015. And the one year CJ McCollum played at that level, averaged 25 in the 2019 playoffs, they went to the conference finals. That was the yeah. one year Dame truly too. had that sidekick. CJ didn't play well against OKC. So Dame was... I think Dame... The reason why you see Dame flame out outside of when the Pelicans just... Drew Holiday and Rondo just put that boy in hell. They did. (laughs) But outside of that, he has the same problem as James Harden where the first round or earlier, like first games of a series, great. But he has so... The ball in his hands so much. He has so much responsibility on offense that he gets tired. It's the same thing happened with the Nuggets. 55... You lose the next game. You go. You get blown. That you get destroyed because he just does. He just. You don't have enough energy for that anymore. You really don't. And I think the further he gets in the playoffs, carrying a team by himself without like proper help, he's just, he just gets tired. Mm-hmm. When you look at him against Golden State that year, he didn't look the same. And it's not even because of Golden State's defense. He was getting open shots. They weren't just. They just weren't dropping. Sure. He literally looks like his legs weren't there anymore. Yeah. Like he just never had the consistent help. 
And when I look at this season, I see what the Suns traded for KD. I'm looking at Portland. I'm like, you have your pick this year. You have the Knicks pick this year. You have tw- you have all your picks up until 2028, I think. Yeah, well, their picks lottery protected to the Bulls this season, I'm pretty sure. If not this year, next year. But you're right. Oh, keep okay. going, keep going. But you ha- then you have Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons. Which package would have been better for KD in your opinion? Well, I guess KD said he wanted to go it's to Phoenix. Which is a cool. no-brainer. Yeah. I would take Shane Sharp any day before I'm taking Mikel Bridges. Yeah. So I'm like, if Portland was really serious about it, like, mm-hmm. why don't you just throw that offer out real fast? Because I get KD wanted to go to Phoenix, but as Brooklyn, as you wish, you have all the leverage. You want to, like, they put you through hell. You want to make sure you secure your future. I would have taken that package and seeing KD and Dame together would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Again, I probably you. Pro- it's it's better than the Luca Kyrie situation, but I think you'd be in a similar situation with the defense. Actually, no, because you have Jeremy Grant there. Nah, Nurkic yeah, can't guard. Yeah, Nurkic and Eubanks can't guard a fish out of water, so it doesn't matter. And to talk a little bit more about this stretch, Dame has been on. Damian Lillard's last twenty-one games, he is averaging thirty-nine points per game, seven mm-hmm. assists, to only two and a half turnovers, while shooting twelve three-pointers a game making 40% of them, and shooting 52% at the field. So this year for Dean, we've seen the burst come back after last year, but we've also seen his finishing improve. For mid-range, the guy's making 48% of his shots. And throughout the entire year, we've seen him carry what is a top 10 offense. The issue in Portland has been two-way versatility, right? You guys talked about it. Yusuf Nurkic is still a starting center in 2023. Are you serious? I mean, Drew Eubanks been starting the last couple of games. Last night, he had two points in 17 minutes. Portland is very fortunate that Dame is so loyal because that gives them more time. And so they're playing their cards long-term, so they're not going to sell all their assets for KD and really kill any of their depth that they do have left. I feel like this is a very big sleeper, like you guys talked about. We had discussed this before our show started to acquire Joel Embiid because if the 76ers underperform this year and that team blows up, that's the next superstar you would think might be on the market. But not with that with that being said, it's pretty clear that Dame's gonna stay in Portland his entire career. And I wanna say, we can separate Dame being on a crappy team that just can't get over the hump defensively from what he is doing on the floor. Because this is some of the best basketball I've ever seen at the point guard position. I can enjoy this. And like you said, Romaine, I would kinda rather watch Dame drop forty points in the stretch than have him you know, say average twenty five points as number two on a championship level team, because there's still no guarantee on the other side, you're going to get that title for him. He's valuing where he is for his family, where he's been his entire career, and being a mentor to these guys in Portland. That legacy will carry a lot more weight than jumping to a new team in a superstar-driven yeah. era where player movement has reached such a high pinnacle. A player like Dame not wanting to jump ship is looked at as you want to lose games. But in reality, he is so loyal to the places that have given him a shot. Oakland, Ogden... And now Oregon, Leo, that's a part of his DNA. So I have to respect the man. That legacy is going to carry a lot of weight, especially when looking at every other superstar in NBA history. Every superstar. Kobe, Duncan, Garnett, he eventually requested a trade, Dirk, etc., etc. All those guys have seen in one place got a championship. With Dame, he's the only player that at 32 years old, it still does not look like that's on the horizon. And unlike Kevin Garnett, I don't expect him to be traded to a big three in his age 32 season. Yeah. The, I'll, the, okay. We're, if Dame... I'm not even going to say it wouldn't win to Portland. 
let's say at some Dame wins it. Let's say hypothetically, miracle happens. Portland's like, okay, you know what? We just gotta call it quits. Let's say you move Dame. He wins a championship as a number two. Where does he rank all time on point guards? Because you know you got Magic Steph, and Isaiah got three rings. You know you got CP three that doesn't have any rings, but every single advanced stat, the eye test. Isaiah got the two only rings. He doesn't have one is because of injuries. The only reason he doesn't have one is because of injuries. So where would you really? I feel like a championship with the level that he's playing at would like like catapult him into like three, not... four all time, three, four all time. He wouldn't be ahead of Chris Paul for me. Yeah. And this may sound like an old head take, but I still wouldn't quite have him ahead of Jerry West. But Dame would be a top 10 point guard without a doubt. Really? You count Jerry West as a point guard or a shooting guard? Because I, I got a point shooting guard. But that's neither here nor there. Top point guards um, of all time. We have Magic, Steph, CP. Isaiah. Isaiah. Jerry West. After those five. Lockdown's got to be in there. But I think stock- if, 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 you, if he wins, if Lou no, wins he doesn't, a championship, he doesn't have to I'd be. put... I'd put him over Stockton if he won a championship. Uh, the question is, be in there. does he Jason jump Kidd. over Jason Kidd, who had led teams to the finals yes. back-to-back years? Yes. In a super weak Eastern Conference, by the way. Does he jump over Steve Nash, who has two MVPs? And does he jump over John Stockton, yeah. who has the steal and assist record? Yes. I think the answer for all three of those players is yes. He would jump ahead of them. He's been an All-NBA performer now for seven, eight years. He's been an All-Star perennially. And I think with... Him being Mr. Blazer by the end of this, right? I think he will go down as that. He's also gonna have an even better case too. Also, he'd he'd be in Romaine's case, he'd be a number two on a championship team, which Jason Kidd was was really not. He was kind of just an old veteran, uh, yes. making great plays. Uh, Steve Nash obviously never won one. He won those two MVPs, but I think we all kind of look at those MVPs and don't really. Put I look that- at one MVP. I look at I look at one MVP like you should know one is the first yeah. one definitely he deserved that shit one thousand. I don't care what anybody say he deserved that shit one thousand. Was that the was that the one where they thought Shaq should have won it or Kobe should have won it? Oh six was the one Kobe should have won. I think. Right. Oh six. Yeah, the other 06. one was was uh, I think Shaq. A lot of people thought Shaq should have won it. Um. Yeah, I think that was his first year on the Heat. I don't think so. Steve Nash is averaging nineteen and twelve, the best offense in the league. I don't care. That's his award. That, that, that's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would I would take uh, Lillard if he won a chance. I think yeah, hundred percent. He's he's uh, no doubt top ten point guard of all time, uh, and he moves up above those guys. I, I would have to look at my list. I know me, John, and Justin ranked him last year. I forgot what it exactly was, but I, I wouldn't put him ahead of Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, not Magic and Steph, and I wouldn't put him above CP three. I just hold CP three and right such now with that. Right now with him without a ring, I don't even know if he's top ten. I feel like it's it's very disrespectful to I want to put him over Russ, but I feel like it's very disrespectful when you look at the totality of Russ's career and how good prom, is it really in his prime Russ really was. I would take oh, I honestly oh, come on. I, I, put, I look I get it. Russ sucks and when you look at back we talk about the inefficiencies in that. But come on, bro. Who's a higher ceiling raiser? As Who, as a big okay, as a big at, Russ 20, 2017. 27, 2017, that OKC team, who mm-hmm. had a worse supporting cast? Dame now or that OKC team? Let's be real. Because Jeremy Grant is better now, and he was on that team with Russ, and he was the second best player on well, that Well, that OKC team was a top 10 defense, right? When Dame had that, he's gone in the conference finals. And here's my thing. Russell Westbrook has a much better resume because he has that MVP season, which was historical. But he's also played but with Kevin Durant. Russ has gotten the opportunity to play career. with yeah. the two greatest players of his era. LaMarcus Aldridge is not a top 20 player from his era. 
Let's not shock. Two greatest yeah, players no, era. No, just let them let, 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 let it have it. Steph is part of that era. Let's let's okay. So two of the three greatest. Yeah, I know. He he meant something else, Romain. I know you look. Two of the the two best players because Kevin Durant's a better player than Steph in the last what? decade. Yes. No, let, just let him have it. Just let him have let it. Let me have it. It's true. <laughs> and we Dame has not had that opportunity. Anyone no, here? But I agree. Yeah. TJ McCall wasn't a top 30 player. No, but uh, but again, uh, like I said, it sucks because Dame was in a, 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 you know, it's kind of like, you know, how many, it's not the same, but how many people didn't win championships because of MJ? You know, Dame is in this era with Steph, and we all look at Steph, we marvel over Steph. But we also remember, like, it was Dame and CJ, right? But they weren't the number one duo because it was always about the Splash Bros. Mm -hmm. It always seemed like they weren't, Dame even, they weren't even the number two duo. They weren't even the number two duo. True, true. And you got true, Russ and true. KD, James Harden, CP3. They're true, 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 true. Uh, more, more CP and James because I'm talking point guard, shooting guard combo. But I, I get, I get what you're saying. Um. But it always seems like Dame was always uh, like that old saying, never the bride, always the bridesmaid. Mm. It, it always just seemed like he was number two or number three, like Romaine said. And it, it just, it, it's, you know, that's how it is sometimes, you know? But he's I mean, still that. never had that. He's phenomenal. We all love Dame Willard. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, he's never had that 2017 Westbrook. He was like, we know Steph is better. But what this man's doing right now is absolutely insane. So you got to respect it. Yeah, it's, it's really insane. He's never had that one year where he's just like, look, I get it skill-wise, and if you want to win a championship, you probably take the other guy. But right now what he's doing, I it's hard to say that anybody's better at that position. Than, he, he hasn't had that year yet. And it's just, he's had he has this, I think when you look back in his career and you look at when he gets deeper in the playoffs, the fall-off, people are going to look at it a little different. And you're going to hear people say certain things uh, without context. It's the same way with James, where I look back, I look back at his career a little bit more now, and just like, you had Golden State in front of you, man, and say what you want about the Houston Rockets team. He was the engine, like quit, like he was the engine, and expecting somebody to be that clear cut engine for like so many, like so for like multiple seven game series at a time, it's just unrealistic unless you're like freaking LeBron. No, so, no, no. So it's just. When you look at the totality of his career, you realize the nasty narrative is going to come up a little bit later for him whenever he retires. But just in the moment right now, you just realize just how insanely good it is. And it just sucks that you're just constantly seeing L's, L's, and L's. Like, 40 points last night against the Pelicans without Zion. This, is, this really enough. does. Uh, the more you speak about it, the more I just think of Carmelo Anthony. Like, how I think Dame is going to be looked at as Carmelo, like you said, when he retires years down the line, 10 years down the line, 20. People are going to look at him kind of like Carmelo. Melo did that yeah, to I'll his own at, team. I'll, I'll, I'll look the at roster. Carmelo as a fraud in 2011. So let, and I was I 10 mean, at the time. So. To each his own. <laughs> I, I think, uh, uh, you know, other, I have a lot more respect for Carmelo Anthony. I, I just. Oh, I do. Yeah. I think I think Melo, in a sense, there's very, very few players in NBA history that can be the champion. That, the main score in a championship team because you look at like Zach Levine that was averaging 27 and 50, yeah. 40, 90 a couple years ago. Like he's averaged more points than Carmelo has ever in his career, but he, you would never look at Zach Levine as he can be the offensive hub of a championship team. Yeah. Carmelo in Denver and if those early Knicks years, even if the Heat weren't there, you could look at Carmelo and be like, you could be a championship, you could be the number yes. one on a championship yeah. team. That, that's so, why I do compare this. I, I just think that people are, I think people are going to underrate and underappreciate Damian Lillard, kind of like how Carmelo is, is right now.
I just hope that hit the end of uh, Dame's career doesn't end up like the end of Carmelo's career. I don't think it will because Dame's skill set as a as a shooter, he can be a spot up shooter for the rest of his career. Yeah, he can be. He's too. He's too good at. He's too good at every single form of three point shooting. Like yeah. you have guys that are, you know either they're great spot up or they're great off the dribble. No, Dame spot up coming off screens, um, pull up from deep. Every single form of shooting the man is no, like a plus at. So I feel like later in his career, even when he does, when he you know loses the athleticism, um, he as a spot up shooter he can play probably to his forties. He made four hundred twenty feet in that seventy one point game, which. For context, is crazy because the three-point line is about 20 feet, give or take. Yep. And uh, I so think good. historically, he reminds me of Reggie so Miller. Good. Yeah. So shifting gears now. Reggie Miller's a good shout too, John. Yeah. The MVP ladder this season is a funny case. I think a lot of people root too deep in the MVP. But this year could be a historical season with Nikola Jokic being the, in my eyes, clear front runner to win the award. The most deserving. When he's on the floor this year, the Nuggets have a plus 13 plus minus and when he's off the floor we've seen the last three years michael malone runs these all bench lineups nuggets were one of the worst teams without him and at the same time all, i think they're also 24 and oh when he has a triple double dating back to he's last shooting season shooting 70 true shooting 40 percent from three bro for context 70 from the field 70 true shooting leads the nba while taking 15 shots a game typically you see a lob offensive rebounding center like mitchell robinson win that not an MVP candidate. Nevertheless, this year's MVP ladder remains starting off with you. Do you have one cooked up for us? Your top three or four by any chance? If not, if I put you on the spot, uh, I, have I'll top, over I, have top, I have a top five. I think I have a top five player cut in mind right now. I got Jokic at the top. Um, I got Giannis at two, Embiid at three, Jason Tatum at four, and then the five is a little bit of a toss up between like Luca, um, Luca and the rest. But I have those guys as Jokic number one. You know. Averaging a triple double, clear cut, probably best offensive player in the league right now, um, and number one seed in your conference. Then you got uh, Giannis again, number one seed in his conference, fifteen game winning streak, really carrying that roster because they've been injury riddled all season. He's just been putting his head down, even though his his jump, his the improvements we saw in his jump shot kind of just disappeared this year. Like he really can't hit a shot outside of like 15, 16 feet. But it doesn't matter when um <laughs> he is who he is and his ability to score and pass out the post has just gotten better and better so i if there's anybody close to Jokic that would give it to it'd be honest and then Embiid, i think he's the first center to average 30 since what moses like 30 like, i mean Jack even in average the, 30 huh that's how Ah, oh, wow, well, come on. <laughs> hey, I, 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 I don't care. If, yeah, not, I if you don't get that big 3-0, I don't care. <laughs> you got to get the 3 I don't care. Nice. It looks nice. So at some point, you got to make a cutoff. And you got to have rules to this. I feel so uh, first center to average 30 for a while. I People overrate the defense. People is like, oh, yeah, Embiid is a two-way. He's a pretty good rim protector. But every other defensive problem you see with Jokic, you have an Embiid. Slow feet, can't guard guards. Yeah. Pick and roll defense, he's a drop center the whole time. And then Jason Tatum, it's Jason Tatum for me early in the season, he'd be the front runner. But it's the fact that when you look at him, you look at the numbers against teams under 500, 32 points per game. Over 500, 27 points per game, and the efficiency drops off a cliff. He doesn't play well against other elite 
He does. He play. Let, let me not say play well. Twelve, twenty-seven points per game is still great. He doesn't play as he doesn't play up to the standard of an MVP against top teams. So as the season went on, he just fell a little bit more, even though his team was can still consistently winning. Because you have, you know, your co-star is also averaging twenty-seven. So I can't really go. Um, say too. He's by far him. the best and, supporting cast of the field. Oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have Luca that, you know, overwhelming numbers, but, you know, teams is not too great. And a large part of the reason why his team is not great is because of defense and he is part of that defensive issue. So yeah. after that, after that, um, I don't know, Ja. <laughs> I think the top four is kind of I don't awesome. care after, after the, the top five. Yeah, 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 I don't really care after, the, after that. It becomes, but, um, it becomes irrelevant after those points. Um, but, yeah, Jokic got, Jokic got it for me. Um, and the only guy close is Embiid. I mean, yeah. um, uh, um, Giannis. Giannis. Yeah, I think it, it's interesting you bring up Giannis. Uh, I think the 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 narrative surrounding the MVP debate is once again Embiid versus Jokic. But I think Giannis does have a very good case. I mean, uh, them and the Celtics are literally fighting for the number one seed like every other game. Uh, they only a half game up. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and and Giannis is averaging. I think he's averaging the most points per per game for his entire career, and he's you know he's putting up the same numbers that Giannis usually. Isn't it the first time he's averaging thirty, or did he average thirty last year? I think it's it might be the first time. Last year is twenty nine point nine, Romaine. <laughs> That's so uh, crazy. No <laughs> uh, but yeah. So if if we, let let's just let let's play a fun let's play the fun game that the narrative is Embiid versus Jokic, right? Because that's the fun little topic that's going around. For me, it's always been obviously we know Embiid deals with the injuries, and if, if you bring that into the discussion, it's clear Jokic is the better player because Jokic plays basically every single game. Uh, but if if we want to leave the injuries out of it and just look at them as the players, for me, it's always come down to what do you value more, playmaking or defense? No, because from your that, center specifically. Two- First set, first center, first set for these two players. Yes, for the for center, um, and for me, it's always been I marvel at the fact. It's not that I value playmaking more because I'm a big defensive guy. I'm a big Kawhi Leonard guy, uh, but it's just I marvel over the fact of how great Jokic is at playmaking and passing. His and vision and defense is overrated to a degree. Yes, to a degree, but I, I just I, I marvel over the fact of how great Jokic is at the at playmaking his passing vision is just it's next i mean people have compared his his basketball iq to that of lebron james who we know has got one of the greatest basketball iqs in nba history uh so Jokic, for me i've always had Jokic ahead of 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 Embiid. but one thing that that's interesting i don't know about the matchups previous to this one but I'm looking at the last one that these guys have played head-to-head against each other, and it was January, uh, mid-January, I think, and it was in Philadelphia. Now, Nikola Jokic put up 8 for 12, uh, eight, 8 boards, 9 assists, 2 blocks, 7 turnovers, minus 1, and a uh, uh, for plus-minus and 24 points. One of his worst games. Embiid, on the other, Embiid, on the other hand, 18 40. to 31. Uh, 18 boards, five assists, three steals, two blocks, six turnovers, plus 14 in the plus minus and 47 points. And the, the Sixers won 126 to 119. That's head-to-head matchup. I don't know how much that weighs into your guys' opinions yeah. on MVP, the head-to-heads, 
Uh, I, I feel like Embiid has kind of had Jokic's number when they play head to head, if I'm not mistaken. Not I'd last to... year. Not last year. Um, but I, I not just consistently I, now. I think no, Embiid's always been the type of guy to just take those matchups because you remember when he played AD earlier this year, he went off again too. Like whenever he's playing another talented big, he goes the extra mile to try to prove yeah. something. Takes it up. But it just they're tied up. It's five, one game five, out of eighty. Five, it's five, one five. game out of eighty-two. It's one game out of eighty-two, bro. It, it is. It is. That, that's why I was saying it, it's. It depends on how much stock you put into the head-to-head matchups for these MVPs and how they play against, and especially because these are the two big men and they're playing head-to-head. They're literally guarding each other, usually on every possession, or they should be. Uh, so for me, it, it's Jokic. I mean, he's averaging a freaking triple double uh, at the center position, which is just. And it's not blocks, it's assists. That was That's blocks. Fun. That would be even I'm, I mean it, it would, it would. Be even more insane. It would be more insane. But but for especially for Jokic because he's not a very good defender. But I get what you're saying. Um eh, let's let that get I I'm gonna give it to Jokic. Um I wanted to get your guys' opinion on this. I don't know if you saw the back and forth between JJ Reddick and Kendrick Perkins on it's first. So night. dumb. So Kendrick Perkins, John, I don't know if you saw it. Um, So just to, you know, summarize, KP uh, came out and said that he believes Jokic is stat padding. Um, And he used some numbers that when he said them, they didn't really make that much sense to me, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, You would have to go look at it for yourself and see if they actually make sense. He was saying he's stat padding. And then um, JJ was on the next day and said, that's absolutely, you know, not true. Jokic is not a guy who cares about his stats. He only cares about championships and whatnot. Uh, and then KP came on again the next day and said that JJ is lying to the public, that he knows that he's been in locker rooms with players and they know about their stats. They're aware of their stats. This is where I think that they're missing each other on the point. Nobody's saying that player that there are, aren't players out there that are aware of their stats. There are. You would be foolish not to Everyone. Think everyone. Yes. 98, 99%. Yes, I would agree. There are a few exceptions to the rule that probably don't care about that. And I think Jokic kind of would fall into that category. I mean, I, I was thinking of like players that are superstars. I think every yes. single superstar cares about their numbers. I don't think there's yes. a single superstar that don't care about their numbers. Sure. I think there's certain role players that know just PJ Tuckers, the Mike Conleys that don't care yeah. about their numbers. They're just trying to help you win. But when you're the number one on that team, you care about your numbers. Yes. Certain numbers. Like, I, I don't think Kobe cared about his field goal percentage. Yeah, but Brent, I think he cared about how many it? points he put up. But the thing with Kobe is, is that he didn't care about his field goal percentage. But that's because he was taking twenty four shots per game. Yes, if you're taking yeah, twenty four shots per game, all you have to, you're he's gonna hit eleven to twelve of them. So I'm like, if I'm shooting 45, 50, 45 to fifty percent, I don't really care. Yeah, sure. Brent, go back. And what were you gonna say, John? Huh? Go back to the yeah. the KP KP JJ. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, I just wanted to get your opinion on that. So do you believe? That Jokic is stat padding. Do you believe there's validity to that? So, I have a Jokic video coming out. No. Let's ask ourselves, what is stat padding? Yes. Is it grappling or taking defensive rebounds from your teammates? At the guard position, that's considered stat padding. But Rough. at the center position, when you're at the rim, that's more reasonable. So when we, I guess, convicted Russell Westbrook of stat padding six years ago is because he would just snag rebounds from Steven Adams. I don't really hyper-extend, hyper-focus in that. With Jokic, all he has done his entire career is made his teammates better. You want a good example? Will Barton. Will Barton was just bought out by the Wizards. A year ago, he averaged 15 points per game. A year later, he couldn't make the Washington Wizards rotation. 
And Barton last year was the third best player on the Denver Nuggets. One other example, how about Aaron Gordon, who in the Eastern Conference is a former top six 40% pick. from three this season, or close. As a former top six pick, most Magic fans had grown tired of, right? He wasn't the franchise pillar they drafted him to become. And this year in Denver, he has had a career year after a career year last year. And in terms of efficiency, it's never been better. Defensively, never been more locked in. And the Nuggets, for as much as we like to say Jokic is a poor defender, I've seen a lot of Embiid fans make this note. The Nuggets are 11th in defensive rating. And since they missed the playoffs and I believe the year's 2018. 14th. 14th? Depends what stat site you're using, whether it's clean on the glass or basketball. Oh, yeah, NBA.com. NBA.com is another one. They're very, they vary the last four years from anywhere between 8th, 7th to 14th. They've always been above average regular season defense. And the clutch this year, games where it's within five points, five minutes or less, they have the second best defensive rating in the NBA to only the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid. Brown, you know that one game, right? It was a Saturday ago, about a month, give or take. What the 76ers did in that game, and I think this is the best way to guard Jokic, it's quite frankly the only way we know of that's seen, proven to work, what the Warriors did last year. You throw a rock-solid post defender on him and have your, whether it's Draymond Green off the ball or Joel Embiid, just sit lurking in the passing lanes, that really takes away his scoring gravity. Because what makes him an unstoppable player is that how many guys got the case to be the best passer and scorer in the world? So if you can contain Jokic in the post, you make him a little bit more one-dimensional as a passer, and that can really reduce the impact of his vision and, quite frankly, his ability to pass at an all-time level. All of that in mind, Jokic is a clear frontrunner for the award because he's the number one seed, and the goalpost movement that I notice, whatever Jokic does, people always have some drawback. And you would think, you know, maybe the guy's the first over. No, he was the 41st overall pick in 2014. All he has done since is all those odds. Like, think about it this way. In the last eight years, there's been one all-star taking in the second round. Technically, there should be a second in Jalen Brunson. That one all-star is now the soon-to-be three-time league MVP. God willing. And yet, you John, think I, this guy's Ben Simmons with the way some people try to tear him down. I, I, I want to, because I love how you the words you used, um, goalpost moving, because that was the next question I was going to ask you guys. Because uh, I bring back to Kendrick Perkins again. Uh, okay. He was talking about apparently flipping that, uh, how the goalposts are being moved for other players. Uh, so this is where Kendrick Perkins uh, kind of laid out his argument. He said, if you uh, there, there, there are only three players in NBA history that have won the MVP and I think averaged under 25 points, I believe is what he said, 25 or 24 points. He mm -hmm. cuts it off at 1990 because he didn't yeah. want to talk about Magic. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because um, Magic is right before then and he did it averaging 19 points per game. That's why he I cut it off at 1990. He's being sneaky, sneaky yes, though. Yeah, um, yeah. Those three players were um, uh, Nash, Dirk, I believe, and uh, Jokic. And then he tried to make the case, what are those three that players? They're white. <laughs> the yes, they're white players, and they're all actually – well, they're all actually not American players too, Nash from Canada and the other two from Europe. Uh, but they're all white players. And he was basically trying to make the case that for certain players, the goalposts are moved. Because if you look at Nash, I think in, he made the case in one of the MVP seasons they weren't the number one seed. Uh, 
Jokic last year, everybody was sitting, you know, now this year, like you said, John, he's the number one seed, but last year he was the sixth seed, I think. And people weren't bringing up that point. Yeah. Uh, but basically is, is that he was, he was trying to make it um, a race issue. And I, I, I don't see any validity to that point. Uh, can we sit here and, and like Romain and me just said, like, he believes Nash only deserved one of those MVPs. I'm one who I don't think he deserved either of those MVPs, but it's fine. One, one, whatever. He's got those MVPs. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a, a, a race thing because I just, I, I don't believe that when <laughs> oh, it's hard, about, it's hard to, to elaborate. Nash, the thing with Nash is that not he, the argument for him both years, because I think the second year he won, Amari was, Amari was injured. Um, I think the team was depleted and he still was able to lead them to like, I think a top three seed in the conference, even though he was only averaging like 15 and 12, but the argument is that he was the best player and the best playmaker in the league on one of the best teams in the league. Now, obviously, you have Kobe averaging 36. Yeah. And then you have other, you have LeBron. So there's other people that I feel like are more deserving. But I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. I just feel like there's people that are more deserving than him to win those awards. Yeah. I mean, And the thing about, like, the best way to guard Jokic in that game is I don't think you can really guard him without another without an elite guard at the other end because yeah you put people in the passing and you put a rock side post defender on him but he has such a soft touch in the post that it doesn't matter what defenders on him he can score nearly every he's literally the only guy i've ever seen that give bam that many problems consistently like mb hasn't even been able to give bam that many problems consistently and the thing about it is that you just need another elite guard on the other end to constantly put him in pick and roll to tire him out as the game goes along that's the only way I think in really because Philadelphia earlier earlier in the game he was killing he was killing Embiid but as the game got on James they put him in pick and roll after pick and roll he had was forced to guard James Harden a couple of times and Tyrese Maxey mm-hmm. got tired a little bit as the game went on and then Embiid you know took it at, took it or took it away as the game got on further so mm-hmm. unless you have another elite the same way Golden State Steph Jordan Poole put him in pick and rolls all the damn time force him to work on the defensive end and then you tire him out and then you at least have a pretty good defender on either end like a Draymond to make him work a little bit. Yeah. That's the only way you're going to at least contain him cuz mm-hmm. even yeah. though he's he still he still got 27 9 and 7 against the 24 9 and 7. So it wasn't even that crazy bad of a game. It's, it's about the, the, that, the numbers aren't as impactful as they usually are though. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the re- you need a you need not only a rock solid post defender and somebody else to play the passing lane but you need an elite guard at the end. Yes, How many teams have that work. other than I would say Cleveland, Philly, well, I mean, and Golden Boston, State? Boston. They're not guards, Tatum and Brown, but they can do that. What, what you're saying? But Brown's mid range shot making. That's a great yeah, point. Yeah. And they also yeah, have yeah, a Robert mind, Williams. A, yeah. A Robert Williams and an Al Horford. Yeah. Not, not, yeah. Never mind. Not an elite guard, but an elite player in the pick and roll. We have yeah, to mention Golden State. And playmake and all that stuff. Yeah. You yeah, have to I mention Golden so. State because they have the same starting lineup from a year ago. And Clay Thompson's it's had that shot. They're the fifth seed all of a sudden. It just feels like it's just setting up for Steph to come back and just make another run. Like, it just feels like it's setting up for that bullshit. So, real quick oh, with the, the Jokic go. thing, uh, related to Perkins. Kendrick Perkins is just talking out of his ass. And he, yes. JJ Redick made he this point a day after. He goes, what the fuck are you watching? And it's a great point because I'm, I'm sorry to curse, but Jokic just makes the right play. He made yeah. an average 25 points per game because he doesn't need to. When he had to last year because he was the only star on his team, he averaged 27 a game. And it's been on elite efficiency. So people try to compare him to Russ. Now he has three players averaging 17. 
Yeah. I will say this. I will say this, though. Uh, I don't think this was a KP uh, argument. I forget who said it. But there is going to come, if they don't w at least get to oh, the hell championship yes. this hell year, yes. and he wins the MVP, this is bad. This is th three years. Not, not even on MVP. Mm -hmm. Not even a ring. He, no, I don't. I want because you have Phoenix. You have Phoenix in the same conference. You got to get to the championship. You got to no, get there. No, 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 no. I think finals. you got to get there. I know. I think the only team I'm okay with him losing to is Phoenix. There's no other team that you should even have a problem against. If you if you beat every other team and you take Phoenix to seven games and you just because again Phoenix um Phoenix is just so overwhelmingly talented offensively now and it's just so is so is Denver. Yeah, and Denver has the cohesion aspect of it because they've yes. been together the entire year. And Phoenix is they have twenty games to put this shit together and they get ready for the playoffs. Mm -hmm. But I think that when you put a Kevin Phoenix was a second seed before Devin Booker got injured, yeah. and then you replace fifteen points a game with thirty, yeah. and you you change your defensive scheme so the defense is not much of a problem. They're a far better team than they were before. Oh, yeah. So I can see I can see them winning the championship this year. I can see them beating Jokic. But there's no other team you can lose. If he loses to anybody else outside that Phoenix team, and if he doesn't at least put that Phoenix team to six to seven games, we got to have a conversation with him having three MVPs and not being yeah, able to get it done. That's why is, I always, um, that's why I always like, I, I, I kind of, I know they'd never do it, but I kind of wish that they wouldn't give the MVP out till at least like the end of the, the before the finals. Okay, I know it's kind of unfair, but Jokic doesn't have to go to the conference finals to deserve a third MVP. And the reason why is simple. Because of the Reigns culture, we love to make this point. That doesn't matter. That's why there's the finals MVP. The regular season MVP is what we vote on. So while you may not okay, agree, Jokic has... has MVP. Let me continue. So while you may not agree, Jokic has that third MVP. The reality is, for three straight years, he was the most valuable player in basketball. Now, we've made the point before, even on this show, that, hey, LeBron's the most valuable player a year. And not necessarily, because there were players some years like Derrick Rose in Chicago that has monster season. Jokic has far and away been the most important player to a team that this year is the number one seed. And you can't look at Giannis, a great example. Giannis had a phenomenal season, but his efficiency mars in comparison to Nikola, who leads the league in efficiency metrics. Now, it's not this nerdy advanced stat stuff that's just reality. If you watch basketball, you know, you consider three throw attempts and three-point rate. Jokic, with his insane touch you alluded to before in the mid-range area, where he's shooting near 60% this year, which is astronomical. He's the most efficient player doing it, too. That's the thing that, that's a marvel about him sometimes, is the fact that he's not... Is the efficiency is not because he's always down low in the paint. It's the fact that he's shooting shots from everywhere, and he's still shooting 63%. Yeah. Um, he, so, Bird is the last guy to... Or the only guy to... three. In the media the last guy. He's the last, last guy, guy who, who else guy. has done it? Bill Russell uh, in the 60s Russell, and okay. Wilt Chamberlain in the late 60s. Yeah. Okay. Yep. No, all right. No surprise there. So, yeah, if you, I mean, that's why I just say, I mean, I, I understand what Romain's saying. I respect it. And I understand what you're saying, John. Not so much do I respect that because I do think, listen, man, you're three, three Pete and an MVP. You have to win. You have you to win. Get, for Romain's thing is you have to at least get to the conference finals against Phoenix. That's his caveat. And you can only lose to, for me, you better be in the championship. I, 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 I don't. Care. You need to be in the finals because now I can make the case for the last two years why he wasn't having that playoff success because the team around him wasn't as healthy. Mm -hmm. Jamal Murray's back. Michael Porter Jr. is playing good ball. He's back and healthy. You got Aaron Gordon playing probably his best basketball of his career. You have got team. a good supporting cast. You got the head coach. You're an MVP three peating. 
it's time, man. It's time. The, the reason I don't hold that to him to that level is because a little, a little bit. I feel like Denver as a supporting cast is a little bit overrated. Little bit, little bit. Aaron it Gordon, is. KCP, Bruce Brown, all those guys, career Jokic freaking all the better. <laughs> all of them. It's they're not as good as people make them seem they are without him. So when you look at when you look at the other side of the ball, if he makes it to the NBA Finals, he's gonna get washed. You have Boston, Boston and Milwaukee. Those two teams, they're literally probably perfectly built to deal with somebody like Denver. They're perfectly. Yeah. You have you have the post defender for Jokic. They have the you offense, have the guys that put him in pick and roll, and on the offensive end, those teams are well. Boston on the offensive end, Milwaukee's offense has been a little bit end eh, this year, but on the offensive end, both teams can give them hell. Yeah. It's just on. The, it's just those two teams. I just know he's not winning a championship this year because the team's not good enough to. That's why I have the caveat. Caveat that if you go against Phoenix and you lose to Phoenix in the conference finals, I'm completely okay with what happens after that because get because I understand that it's a team game and you can't do it by yourself when your team's just while it's good, it's just not built for it. MPJ, I'm not gonna lie to you. As a scorer, he's a little bit over. He's very over. Not even a little bit. He's a pick. He's a dribble handoff. Dribble handoff and pin down merchant. Like well, he's an amazing one, but that's what he puts. Yeah, one on one one on one, dribble pull up, that's most you're getting out of him. Cut he's a great cut. He's also a pretty good cutter. Yeah. But it's also because you have Yokita on your team to hit you on yeah. those cuts. I agree. Thank um you. Jamal Murray, perennial all-star, and he's just, Murray, he's just he's just he's getting better this year, but again. When you look back again, the year after the bubble, where I think he was the best we've seen him before the ACL, he doesn't look like that anymore yet. Yeah, Maybe because yeah, he's still he's coming off. Yeah, he's still coming off the ACL. I, 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 I can see. Your yeah. Point. So the team is not point. good enough for him to win it's, this year. That's. I don't think that's going to be the narrative. I, I agree with your point. Well, it's not. I don't. It's not. Think people it's gonna are going to be assholes about. People are definitely going to be assholes about it. But, I just he needs to get to the conference finals at least. The team's good enough to get there. He needs to prove something. He needs to show that he can consistently beat team. Because who else is he going to, like, first round, who they play? May, actually, they may play the Lakers first round. So, God damn. But um, if LeBron and AD is healthy with this new team, that's going to be tough. Yeah, but we, let's just say got you, a, we just got a report that apparently LeBron's not going to need surgery. Yeah, it, no, he's, yeah it's, gonna be it's one to two weeks. One to two weeks. Similar. Well, he's going to be yeah, reevaluated in one to two weeks. Yeah, He's coming back. I don't think, I don't think there's that. There's we always expect him because we've always, you know, we've always seeing LeBron that when too. he falls down, he gets yeah, but he's nearly forty. Right, yeah, let's glue it down the end of the Jokic segment. Where are you going with that? Oh, um, hold on. I was looking at the standards right now. They let's say they play somebody like Minnesota or Utah in the first round, right? Watch that team. The next team you're probably playing is Sacramento. You have no. L- no listen, to me. you have. There's no reason why you should lose to Deer and Fox and Demontis the bonus. And God There's forbid no they play the Clippers. Oh man, Clippers! Sorry for the curse. Be- well, the no, no, they, I'm saying that because they've been the Clippers in 13 of their last 15 matchups against them. They'd walk exactly, exactly. So it's like there's no other team other than Phoenix in the Western Conference that should hold a candle to you right now. So if you lose, it is because you underperformed. Has Jokic ever no done reason. that in the playoffs? Underperformed. Against Utah in the bubble, he kind of did. Jamal Murray had to carry him. He underperformed there a little bit. I well, wouldn't say underperformed against Golden State because he was by himself. Let's think about it. He what had... helped Murray? He was spying up from three, making pop, pick and pop looks, and that was taking Rudy Gobert at the paint so Jamal could get more looks downhill. I mean, yeah, that's the scheme of things, but I'm just saying. And 
he yes he has there's never been a severe underperformance where it's like damn you just didn't live up to what we thought you could do in the playoffs I'm just saying that if you lose to anybody else but Phoenix it's because you underperformed because right now with the the gravity this team's had because even though I say MVP is what he is he's still a lifetime shooter so he's gonna have Jokic most of the time against any other team outside of a great defensive team that's then and there's not too many outside of Memphis in the Western Conference he's not gonna see too many looks or t- that way he can't destroy a team by himself. So unless you lose to anybody's butt Phoenix, it's because you severely underperformed. Yeah. Which won't happen. Jokic, I think, my p- my prediction is that Jokic is going to the finals this year. See the jersey in the background? That'll be here in June. And I don't know if they can beat Boston, which is the current favorite to come out the Eastern Conference. But let's be clear. The two years Jamal Murray has been healthy, they've went to the Conference Finals, and they've knocked on the doorstep of the Conference Finals. So... I'm not expecting that trend to change much this season. But that's the thing is that, yeah, they made a conference finals, but guess what? The moment you hit the conference finals, you hit the team that's overwhelming better than you. You hit the Lakers in the, Lakers in the bubble. Uh, Lakers in the bubble. Um, I don't think and, that team was overwhelmingly better because if AD doesn't hit that one-game winner, and I think it was game three, that series could have went to seven games. It was a close. They were, they were all so Yeah, big. but that's 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 me that's me saying that if Bam and Goran were healthy, we could probably push the Lakers to further than six. So it shit just happens sometimes. That's like saying 2017. KCP said it himself on the other side with the Lakers. Shit. If Aiden's been that game winner, he's going to seven. He did I'm not taking that on team. interview with Zach Lowe. I think it's looking at it in a way like 2017, Cleveland, Toronto, where Toronto took two games from Cleveland at home. But we all know who the better team was and who was coming out of it. And even then, in that series, there was, I think, a game that was decided by three points. It's just, you realize when the talent is just on another level, it's just, Jokic and Jamal were good enough to take those two games, and they were able to keep one game close, but you still ended up losing it. Mm-hmm. But, yes, I think Lakers were overwhelmingly talented than the Denver Nuggets at the time. Right now, there's only one team in the Western Conference that I think has a talent level, and it's not even overwhelmingly. That's why I think they need to push Phoenix to at least seven if they lose to them. They need gotcha. to push him Nelly seven from a mm-hmm. perspective. Brennan, what's your MVP ladder? I'm curious to hear because this turned into a Jokic segment, which is kind of funny, reasonably so. But I want to get your spin. I mean, it's kind of very similar. It's Jokic, and then Embiid, and then Giannis are kind of interchangeable, and then Jason Tatum and Luca. I think that that is like kind of the clear cut five that you mm-hmm. would have them in there. Um, you can mix a ra- match like three, four, and five, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's Jokic. I mean, it, it's this this MVP race is kind of not as interesting because I think we all understand what's going to happen. Jokic is going to. I mean, it was interesting before. earlier in the year when yes, Jason was. Tatum was doing what he was doing, and Steph was but Steph I, was balling out of his mind. You just I thought if KD, Warriors could KD start winning. Yet. Yep. Yeah, it was a lot more interesting earlier in the year when everybody was healthy and everybody was balling out. But as the season goes on, one guy's been able to stay healthy the entire year. One guy's been able to keep his team as the the best team in the conference or one of the best teams in the conference the entire season. One guy's having a triple-double right now. One guy's literally setting records for efficiency. It's just, there's it's literally every single arrow is pointing to one person. People are just mad that he's winning his third in a row. But you know what? Under- I think Giannis has a very underrated case. The Bucks have won 16 straight games. The number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Oh, they're still on the winning streak? Yeah. They have oh, not that's, lost that's... in a long time. The last loss they had, actually... Yeah, I know. I think they went, un- yeah, yeah, this... they went undefeated in February. Never mind. It was January 21st, over a month ago. And that's a lot of time in the NBA. So, Giannis has missed Chris Middleton for 45 games this year. 
And Drew Holiday is only played in 51. So he has a pretty good case. Now we're going to talk about, oh man, the Los Angeles Lakers. Brian, you talked about it before. I was watching Brian Suter's video, a medical expert here on YouTube, where he went, gave us the rundown. LeBron more likely has plantar fasciitis, which doesn't require surgery. It's more of a two-week in a boot, recover, and then you get reevaluated in, what is it, the middle of March with about three weeks left in the season. Yeah, um, it's funny you bring up plantar fasciitis. I was telling Romain I have plantar fasciitis in both of my feet. Um, so I will tell you, it's not that fun, but I have found a way to cure it. I am pain-free now since I, I was diagnosed with it and went to the doctor and then she told me what was wrong. I have been cured from it because I just switched up my shoes and I got shoes that are excellent for um, – uh, walking, running, whatever, just, mm. just comfort level. I can actually yeah. tell you they're, um, these are Adidas. Uh, I think they are one of the boost ones or whatever, <laughs> but it's basically just find shoes that are, that are comfortable and, and really help the arch out. Uh, I got new, I got boots, Skechers boots, arch fit. They really are comfortable and they help out. They need no pain whatsoever. So I'm gonna go back to the Air Max LeBron's then to get that. <laughs> so for so I guess I I don't know what LeBron is currently feeling. You know we're we're taking guesses that it, it could be plantar fasciitis. I'll tell you this, I had plantar fasciitis last year during the summer when I actually started playing ball again for the first time in a couple of years or whatever. I'll I'll tell you that when I was playing basketball, uh, no discomfort whatsoever. I could run around and, and do everything that I usually did before with no pain whatsoever. Uh, it was it was actually more my lungs that were killing me because I, I hadn't played or done anything in a long time and I thought I was going to pass out and die. That was my main focus, but my feet were fine. Uh, before the game, they hurt a little bit, but once I started playing, I felt no pain. So I don't know if it is plantar fasciitis because from what I experienced from it, when I'm playing, or when I'm doing something physical, I don't feel pain. It's usually when you sit for an extended period of time or you sleep and then you get up, that's where the pain really starts to come in from what I've experienced. So I don't know if it's plantar fasciitis. Uh, if it is, it's affecting him completely different than it affected me. So, Which am I at 38 years old. I, I, yeah, true. I mean, he's got a lot more miles than he does uh, than he, uh, on his body than I do on mine. Um and he's played basketball at a high level. So I'm not going to act like I am that, but, you know. Yeah, but he's also a freaking robot, so. He is a freaking robot. He's freaking Iron Man. We, we you know, it's it's starting to break down a little bit, but I don't know what More LeBron's doing. He's been right. injury prone. He, he has for a little bit, yeah. So for the Lakers, what does this mean? They're currently 30 and 33 at three. I'm going to tell you this. What it, what I, think they're fine. I think they're, I, I think I'm gonna, they're fine. They're I'm going to right now. I'm going to tell you what it means because I've looked at their schedule – and when LeBron, before he got uh, announced out for the next couple of weeks, I looked at their 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 March schedule and I said, there are about maybe two games that I see that are pretty guaranteed losses for them or that are not winnable games. The rest of them are very winnable games. And without LeBron, I still think they're win most of the games are winnable. Except they for beat OKC last night without AD. Like, without their top three players, D Lo, A D, and LeBron. Now they didn't Schroeder stepping up. Schroeder yeah, started out 0 for 6, I think, and then he he dropped 26 at the end of it. But yeah, I look at this schedule and I say, these are all winnable games, except for the Suns game later on. That that's obviously a wash. You're probably gonna lose that game on the 22nd of March. The rest of them 
winnable games, man. The Timberwolves, they're in shambles. You're in shambles. Mm-hmm. Winnable game. Warriors, Steph might not be back. Probably game. game. Grizzlies, you just, you almost did it. You almost did it. Winnable game. This one's in LA. Yeah. Raptors, winnable game. Knicks, winnable game. Pelicans, no Zion, winnable uh, game. I don't know how winnable the Knicks are right now. They're yeah, that's way a good too hot. point. Knicks are on heater. I, but... I still say it, so I don't think it's a guaranteed Knicks win. But if I think... LeBron doesn't play, I don't think that's a winnable one. <laughs> if he All plays, right. he has a winnable. That's fine. I mean, I I, I still think AD if 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 he's You're on that home. court. He's the best. Yeah, you're at oh, home. Oh, they're at home? Okay, yeah, it's in LA. Um, sorry, I should have probably mentioned that. Pelicans, you're in New Orleans. Winnable game, no Zion. In Houston, winnable game. Uh, in LA. When is he coming back, by the way? LeBron will probably be back in a month. Zion. Zion. Oh, let's not even think about that. Yeah, who knows? Mavericks. Yeah, the Lakers have a very easy schedule. For I think they have the 27th or 28th. Easiest it's one of the schedule. five, five, yeah, five yeah, easiest. Yeah, yeah. When they started out the season, they were getting swamped with every single good team in the NBA. They had a little stretch there. They had a stretch there. They had a stretch there, though, while they faced San Antonio, I think, three straight times or, or something like in a, in a very short amount of time. So they got a little reprieve there. But, yeah, for, for the most part, they I were, think the problem with the Lakers is like, every single time they pick up some momentum, something happens. They go 2-10, and then they pick up. They pick up the pace. They almost reach 500. 80 goes out for a couple for like a month. Yep. All right, 80. You go through those couple months. Come back. LeBron goes down for a couple of games. Mm-hmm. Now they're both healthy for a little bit. Now, now LeBron's out again. Like, it's it's just every single time the team just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And yep. every single time, the thing with this now is though they're load managing 80, which I think is perfectly fine. And um, LeBron is coming back with. Three weeks left in the season. I they get into the plane. Any anyone from the Utah Jazz, Timberwolves, who's in the plane right now? Utah Jazz, Timberwolves, uh, Pelicans, and Dallas. Okay, Dallas is Dallas is probably making that playoff spot. But any other, they shouldn't lose to Minnesota, Utah, or the Pelicans with this roster if LeBron's playing. I, right I, I honestly see Utah is the is gonna. I think they're the odd team out in that discussion. I agree. Yeah, right stick right now, the Lakers need to take that spot. Yeah, right now they're one game out of the play-in. The problem for the Lakers though is that can the Lakers get into the playoffs? Yes. The issue is when you have LeBron at thirty-eight and Anthony Davis not having a week off before the playoffs is a pretty big issue. If you had that week off. I would view this as a potential contender, but you don't. And so you're not going to be a contender. You need a break for these guys. They're going to be a first-round exit. The good news, though, is this supporting cast is a million times better than where it was last year because you have a lot more versatility, right? Vando, Malik, D'Lo. You have an actual roster. So that's the first step of the process. The second step, of course, is this is what makes them such a depressing topic. Given Anthony Davis is your best asset, do you have to look to maybe trade him to upgrade the yes. roster and find a more durable star complement to LeBron that can play those regular season games while also being a good fit alongside him? I don't think you, the thing is I don't it's like durable, yes, but I'm you're gonna find people that can play at the heights of a fully healthy Anthony Davis. Even though you don't see that too much, you, you're not gonna get somebody that's gonna play to that level. And yes, you may win a couple more regular season games, but the moment you get around to the playoffs, it's a 39-year LeBron next year and somebody worse than AD. 
Would you, you rather probably, 15 games of MVP play by AD, but he can't close the season, or Kyrie, not Kyrie Irving, but a star that can at least close the season, but is maybe not a top 15 player? Well, you're not winning a championship, but this is winning a championship. You're not winning a championship without AD. You're not like, even you're making not the playoffs with AD. I mean, there's a plenty of reasons why the Lakers are in this position. If they had this roster from the beginning of the season, we wouldn't be having this conversation. They'd be firmly probably in the they, playoff picture right now. They, they, they were a plus 18 without man. AD in the starting lineup when he was out. They, huh? they they dug their hole, man. They they dug it when they dug their hole when, when right they now, traded for AD. I truly believe when they traded for AD, they signed their 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 death wish, if you want to call it. Listen, the only reason they won that championship, they got the ring. But let's put the context in it. They got a ring because how many months they they have off at the end of the season before oh, the bubble started up again? AD almost didn't even play yeah, those they, last they, couple they, games. Of the finals. They needed how many injured. months was it? Two or three months, Six. and then they all got healthy. Four. AD has Six. never been healthy for a full season. The only time he did that was the bubble when they had three months off. Yeah. After that, we have not seen that. Before that, we have not seen that. We knew what AD was in New Orleans. He was a phenomenal player, talent-wise, top five, could not stay healthy, and could not elevate his team to the next level. All right? He could elevate him. He just couldn't stay healthy because that year they made the playoffs. He had Drew. Nobody else on that team was any, was mentioned. 2018. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Splitting hairs. Um, One of the conference finals after Boogie tore his Achilles, but yeah, good point. I, I love yeah, Boogie. I, I love Boogie. Um, I think that that, that that matchup. God, I wish we would have saw more of that. Um, that pairing. Uh, but when they when they traded for AD, you knew what you were going for, and then and then obviously the terrible move where Holinka didn't want to give Demar Derozan the extra year. They could have had Demar, and then LeBron was like, "Well, we're not getting LeBron. Go get me Russell Westbrook." And then they got Russell, and we know what happened. And that's why you don't give your star power to acquire Russell Westbrook. Yeah, you don't, don't, don't get. Well, my the Clippers even the Clippers are, are learning. Wait, that much. didn't didn't Russ go to the Lakers saying that he wanted to be there? Isn't it? Wasn't the other way around? Russ no, it was a partnership. Like, they both wanted. No, no, it was because it was first. It was Demar. LeBron wanted Demar. LeBron wanted Demar. Palenka was not willing to give him the extra year. So then Demar went to Chicago, and then LeBron's second option was, all right, we'll go get me Russ. And, and Russ has to be traded to the Lakers the moment yes. he found Because he wanted to go to L.A. But Russ's first option, if you all remember, was the report was out, if you believe it. He wanted to go to the Clippers with Kawhi. Apparently, he called Kawhi. In 2019. Kawhi never returned his uh, can we tell, Real quick. I don't, we, so we've hilarious. already been going now for an hour and a half, so I don't want to make this. We still have all, all of our NFL topics to discuss. But to wrap up this segment, it's kind of funny how in 2019, Russ called Kawhi to team up. Kawhi goes, oh, wait. No. You and PG are split? Let me go call PG. He calls PG. They team up. Russ goes to four teams in four years, and he makes his way back, even on a minimum contract. And now he's in the Clippers. I can't believe the guy's actually starting with Mason Plumley. And BC ripped into him. Look, I know Russ brings some good things to the table and pace, but holy crap. He... His lack of spacing is so destructive to an offense. You go to double it's overtime, and Kawhi's borderline it's being hilarious. triple team because no one's going to guard Russ. And the it's fact that the Clippers are still starting him to me is beyond me. Um, he's not the only the reason they lost those three games. The Lakers are only two and a half games outside of the six seed, and the Clippers are on a slide right now. There could be a very well. There could be a very. If the Lake, let's say AD is able to play a couple of games. If they win a couple in a row, there's a very good chance that we see the first round the Lakers versus Kings series. And I'm not going to lie, a fully healthy Lakers team with the way they're looking right now versus the Kings is, <laughs> that's going to be a Sorry, great Sacramento. series to watch. It huh? will be, be a lot of fun. Yes. So now that we've discussed an NBA for almost an hour and a half, 
We're going to be discussing our NFL offseason previews. Romain, you're more than welcome to stay. We're going to be discussing the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders. Two teams with unideal last seasons. A little bit disappointing. Brandon, where do we begin? Well, I mean, first thing we could talk about is, not talk about, but I'll just mention is, I guess, a report, not a report, I think McDaniels actually said it himself, that they're not going after Aaron Rodgers. Uh, they're going to keep their uh, draft capital and, and trade uh, assets and whatnot. So we know that. They're not going for Rodgers. So let's um, begin with the Las Vegas Raiders. Let's begin with them Raiders. The Raiders have too many holes in the roster to be trading yeah. draft picks for a 39-year-old quarterback. I understand that. This last season, Vegas acquired Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones. And the expectation was for them to be the sleeper of the AFC, right? In an absolute jam-packed AFC West for the Chiefs, with the Chargers, and the Broncos. The expectation was playoffs for a lot of people. Some people thought all four teams would make the playoffs, which I knew was mathematically not going to happen. The Raiders went 6-11. and And we can admit it. Injuries hit, right? Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, each missed half the season. But Derek Carr played like trash. Behind that offensive line, in the biggest moments, his last game as a Raider... His last game as a Raider was against the Steelers where he threw three picks, got Devontae Adams two catches in the cold. Derek really did struggle this season. Now, they also failed Derek in the years preceding where they never gave him a good defense or much of an offensive line. So, now Vegas is in a position where with a no-trade clause, they have to release Carr and you get nothing for him, right? Where do the Raiders go from here this offseason, Brandon? Because the quarterback market... It's not that it's dried up, but none of the options are appealing enough for this team to actually become relevant again. Well, here's where they are. Um, I'm just looking. Okay, so they have the seventh pick overall in the first round. They have all their picks, basically, one through seven. No extras, no less. Um, Obviously, Derek Carr is gone. He's been released. What they have is they have the offense. If... if, if um, Everybody stays healthy and they bring Josh Jacobs back. They have the offensive weapons. Let me be very clear. Weapons to be a contender, to have it be a threat. The team is not that good. The offensive line, like you said, is eh. Uh, the quarterback, now they don't have one. The defense, while you thought Chandler Jones was going to give you something, he really gave you nothing at all. Max Crosby was your only real saving grace on defense and one man can only do so much. Uh, so yes, like you said, they have a lot of holes on the defensive end and on the offensive line to fix and they now need a quarterback. So they're kidding themselves again about, are we, cont- should we go all in to contend or should we start over and rebuild? I am in the full case that they need to start over and rebuild. I don't think they're going to do that. I think <laughs> right now I'm not, but, I'm an NFL. I'm a casual in the NFL right now. But what I've noticed so far is, wait, um, what's going on with Lamar's contract right now? Uh, he's, he's still the agent. He's the best yeah. free agent on the market. Exactly. Okay, so looking at it that way, what I've always noticed is that if you're not Patrick Mahomes, paying a paying a quarterback like max max money is almost never going to result in you winning. Mm. Simply because you're going to need to always you you're going to need other players to supplement you to actually yeah. win, unless you're Patrick Mahomes. Like, there's only one player I've seen that's been able you lose the best wide receiver in the league and still win a Super Bowl. So, mm-hmm. right now, the money that Lamar wants from MVS, yes, he deserves it because he's great MVP, played at a great level, but I don't think he can play that and expect to win anymore. So, and Aaron Rodgers is expecting that type of money too, right? 
He's already got the money. I mean, yeah, he's he got, got his contract. Extension. He makes about 50 Oh, he has to be traded. Okay, he has to yeah. be traded. So, okay. So, in that sense, for a team that does need a quarterback like that right now and with probably insane levels of cap space since they suck, would you look at Lamar and put yourself in that hole knowing probably that you capped yourself at maybe making a berth for the playoffs but not really doing anything else other than that? See, you would think, you would think, and I think John can correct me if I'm wrong. You would think that since the Raiders suck, that they would have cap space. I don't believe that they have cap space because oh, they that's paid crazy. A, they paid a Devontae <laughs> Adams, they paid Hunter Renfro, they paid Chandler Jones, they paid Darren Waller. Uh, I don't know how much of Derek Carr's contract is on their uh, uh, books still because they cut him, they couldn't trade him, or they didn't find a trade partner. Uh, actually, no, Derek Carr actually pulled the gangster move and said, "Nah, you're not trading me. You can cut me." Because you're, I'm not going teams. to a team where I they lose assets to get me. I'll just go to the team. So that was baller gangster move. Uh, so yeah, and I don't know is Max Crosby up too, John, for a contract? Or he already got paid. See, they're paying so many of these guys, but they don't have a full team. They're they're they so need to start over if they want to make the smart. Josh is in his second year, McDaniel's. If he wants a chance to survive, it's not about. And I know the Raiders are in Vegas. They want to make the splash moves. Uh, go back to Al Davis, just win, baby. Like it, you have to start over, man. You have to if you want any success for the future. You have to start over. You don't have a quarterback. You're not going to. You're not getting a Lamar. Sorry, you're not. You, you just said you're not going for Rodgers. Start over. Trade Devonte Adams. Trade Darren Waller. Trade Hunter Renfro. Get picks. Get draft uh, uh, capital. They get just draft. sound like they sound sell. like the they sell. sound like the NFL version of the Chicago Bulls at this point. Then I got to like, sell. Okay, so that's a great analogy, Romain, because the Raiders yeah. don't have a good roster because they've missed every year in the draft. They've had they had six first round picks in a span of three years, and only one of those guys became a starter long term. That being Josh Jacobs, who was a monster this last season. And so when you miss time in and time out with high-level draft picks, you got your roster. And as Brandon said, they have the seventh overall pick. Romain, they should not be in Lamar Jackson sweepstakes, mainly because if you pay Lamar, a quarterback that has played one full game the last two years in December, you're committing to a player in win-now mode when your team is far from that. The question this offseason is, for Devontae Adams, who came to Vegas to play with Derek Carr, what are you getting for him? Because they yanked him to a pretty contract this last offseason, and we see all of these wide receiver needy teams every single offseason and you can definitely get a one for Devontae, whether it's in the 20s or the teens he's a top three receiver in the league and even last year one of Derek Carr's most disappointing seasons his most by far I mean Devontae still put up 1500 yards there are games where you'd only have like four or five catches because Carr played that poorly so I think for Devontae that's going to put you in position to get two first round picks so now for Dave Ziegler their front office and Josh McDaniels they need to connect on these picks and part of the question is, for a coach that is sort of in the hot seat and only not fired because you already had John Gruden on the payroll and you can't fire a second coach and have a third in the payroll, all right, is Josh McDaniels going to maximize the team that you give him if you do draft well? Because he's a coach in the past in one year in Denver and this last year in Vegas that was not much of a leader and the team struggled to close games. The Raiders locker room really did fall apart after they let Rich Bisaccia go and they promoted him or okay, brought so in. So I made a I made a mistake. The Raiders are going to have some good cap space. They're going to have the ninth mm -hmm. uh, most cap space in the NFL this year. It's because the original cap salary cap was announced at two hundred eight point two million. NFL.com on Monday, I guess, uh, 
or th this was like a month ago, actually, sorry, not Monday. This was a month ago, um, said the salary cap is going to be raised to $224.8 million. So the Raiders are going to have a little bit more than $20 million, And now that they have released Derek Carr, they're going to have a lot more money to play with. That's not going to be counted on their books. So they're going to have money to play with. It still doesn't uh, seem, with the, with the way you guys talk about it, it still doesn't seem, it seems like this is just, yeah, just blow it up. It seems like you have, it seems like you have complimentary pieces that would be great, like the wide receiver. You just don't have the main guy. And the main guy, the only guys out on the market to be that main guy has never, has never been able to stay healthy. So it's time, it's time to start over. It's, it's, you, you, yeah, you it's, take, it's, you take it's, over from, the uh, from, from other teams in the past that have built it well. I know the Cowboys haven't had success, but when they started to build their team correctly, where it was offensive line, off it, where they got Tyron Smith, uh, uh, Zach Martin, Travis Frederick, uh, sucks that he had to retire. And they started to build that O-line. Then Dak started to develop. Amari, you trade for an Amari. You get uh, Zeke. You, you, but Zeke was a bad drafter because he's running back. You know, take for the but whatever. Um, they started to make good decisions here and there. And it's that's where you start. You start with the O-line. Build the O-line. Get a quarterback. Then things start to progress. Then things start to fall in place. Then you can maybe make a splash trade for a, a big-time receiver to help that young QB out. Things start moving. That's what they need to do. They're not going to do it, though. That just, that just sounds exactly like what the Dolphins did. Yeah. like They're, they're not going to do that, though. Except the, the offensive line part of Miami. They kind of skipped huh? over that process. Well, I mean, they tr they 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 signed um uh, Ron Armstead, who can't finish. Ron Armstead, he got injured. And they drafted Austin Jackson, who is not good. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders, they have only $5 million in dead money for Derek Carr as well. They'll have some flexibility, but I would just put that on the defensive fronts add as much until the interior D-line. I would keep Max Crosby because he is too good of a player, and he's still yeah. in his mid-20s. And then after that on the offense, I'm blowing the entire thing up. Yeah. And they should. <laughs> I wonder what Darren Waller's actual value would be because he was injured. He's a tight end making good I money. You can get a second rounder, a high second round pick. Definitely gain a day two pick for him, maybe an additional, like a supplemental. And then for Hunter Renfro, he's an elite slot receiver. I would you hold on. You can get on. like two thirds, maybe a second and a third for a Hunter Renfro. I think I would want to keep Hunter, though, personally. Given he would. He's still young. And that's the type of receiver for a young quarterback that you can lean on. That'd be really, yeah. So I'm keeping Renfro. I'm but I don't, Crosby. but John, I think we can both agree. I don't think that they're going to do what we, the smart moves. I think they're going to try and contend and it's going to, so I apologize sure. to the Raiders fans. I do think that they're going to do that. So I do. basically Chicago. So, so basically I, Chicago. I feel bad for Raiders fans. I feel bad for you. It's not just win, baby. That's tough. With the seventh overall pick, the Las Vegas Raiders will select... If Anthony Richardson's on the board, Brandon, like, I don't think they're going to jump the gun this offseason. It's not the time. They have a new front office. I'm willing to expect them taking Anthony Richardson if he's Unless on the board. I heard, I, heard, I heard about him. I saw I saw the post where it's like arm of um Josh Allen can move like like is that all that he what's, is a what's the what's the what's the drawback? What's the drawback? Because they have the to, fact he only started one game at Florida. He was a uh, red shirt oh, sophomore. James Wiseman waiting to happen. Come on. He's not a consistent thrower of the football. He's a great athlete. He's got a monster arm, strong as hell. Six he's four. Inconsistent in the pocket. He's not an accurate quarterback, and he's he's got to learn the the nuances and the. the I thought they said that he has accuracy of Drew Brees. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> yeah, like he, I think he was fit. He had a fifty-five percent completion percentage in his last year in college, or fifty-eight. Okay. But when the yeah, sample, that, that, when that the sample's only like three hundred passes, happened, it's, it's tougher to really judge him entirely off that. 
The drawback is what Brandon just laid out before. Richardson's a prospect and a project, more notably. And for the Raiders, the next step would also be improving the offensive line, like I mentioned before. With the seventh overall pick, you can't go wrong taking tackle prospect because they miss Alex Leatherwood really badly. I think they should go all line at the seventh. That makes sense. But McDaniels also wants a quarterback to keep his job, right? And you can't move in a training camp with Jared Stidham as your QB. That's what I'm saying. I don't believe that they're going – the smart decision taking O-line, an offensive lineman, they're probably going to take Will Levis. But you know what? I think they're going to sign Jacoby Brissett, maybe Jimmy G, one of those two quarterbacks in New England because they've seen to do that in spite of not having much of a culture. My expectation for the Raiders is, I'll be honest, I'm sorry, Raider fans, not much. Because it's tough to really know – Okay, do you a quarterback or a line in this upcoming year's draft? And who is going to be the Devontae Adams suitor? Because if you get two firsts, now you really have the optionality to go both those two positions. You knock that out the park, you sign Brissett, and that young quarterback can sit behind him for eight games to a full year. And I think that'd be beneficial. But being Josh McDaniels' job's in the line, he may throw a quarterback out there like Anthony Richardson way too soon. I and next thing you know, that quarterback's I don't think Anthony Richardson fits. I think a Will Levis is, is what? Uh, a Josh McDaniels would go for. Because remember, McDaniels is the guy who took the swing on Tebow. That was also... He's not taking another swing on a project player like that. I don't... You can't do that, man. So I think think if they're going to take a quarterback, I think Will Levis is the guy that they're going to take. I, I would believe. say, though... Hey, you can't be wrong two times in a row, can you? Yeah, you, can. <laughs> you know, it's not, not that Levis isn't a safe prospect, Brennan, but he's not. I don't project think in this class is CJ Stroud, if that's what you're alluding to, from Ohio State. Yeah. Compared but, to Jared Goff, it's a lot more athleticism. Yeah, I just think that Will Levis is, is what a, a quarterback of a, that Josh Rogans would be looking for. Um, but yeah, I apologize, Raiders fans, Vegas Raiders fans. It's You're the worst team in the AFC West. I apologize. Did you have Colton Miller at tackle? That's a good start. I love the, the stadium. The stadium's dope. No? It is. Great I got to go sometime, man. Yeah. John's fan. Yeah. And the good news is, Brent, while we did crap on them right there, along with the top 10 pick, they do have $46 million in cap space. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe De'Ron Payne's a defensive tackle from Washington is gaining franchise tag. But I wouldn't be surprised if they really ramping up this defense and add more depth to it, the quality of the interior. And in turn, they should win more games than six next year. I would like to believe that if you're going to get younger and add depth to this group. Plug yourself. Romain, where can people find you? Oh, um, uh, twi- what is my Twitter? I forgot my, yeah, my ad on Twitter. Oh, that hard. Uh, <laughs> No, I think it's two. It's, yeah, it's FLB two underscore nine because the first underscore was taken. I don't know how, who the hell is FLB underscore nine. The mm-hmm. first one, um, and on YouTube it's FLB um, basketball videos. I th- I should have a Jokic talking about the whole Let's JJ go. Reddick KP video. I should have one coming out today. It's already recorded. I just need to finish editing it. Um, but yeah, took a two week break, all star break. Took a two week break off editing for a little bit. I'm back. You know. And it's get the content's gonna get crazy because playoffs coming around. Uh summertime's content's gonna be crazy. So yeah, F will be on YouTube, uh trying to get to at least five K before the season ends. So hopefully uh, yeah, anybody can help me get that. But thank y'all for having me on. Yep, no problem, man. Have a good one, Romain. Romaine's stuff is gonna be linked in the in the in the description. John will put it in there and his Twitter handle will probably be on the screen. But as always. Yes. So now we're gonna shift gears, BC, to another team that had a depressing season. Yeah, the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos had mountains of expectations in 2022, yeah. and they won five games. Yeah. 
Now, if you were to tell me that last offseason, my prediction was the Broncos missed the playoffs and win eight or nine games. It was nine, actually. What happened to the Broncos was a combination of untimely injuries, a coach and quarterback who, who did not gel whatsoever, and honestly, a defense ball special that eventually fell at the end of the season, mainly because that offense could not support them at all. That defense had way too much on their plate. They eventually traded Bradley Chubb in the middle of the season for a first-round pick. This offseason, they then used that first-round pick from the Dolphins that was acquired for the Trey Lance move to acquire Sean Payton, right? We don't have to talk too much about the Nathaniel Hackett era. Not much was memorable. So now they move into this offseason, Brandon. A year two at Russell Wilson. Last year, Russ really struggled up until the last two games where with Jerry Roseburg, they went one and one Russ looked like the quarterback he was, but... 16 TDs, 11, to 11 interceptions, a 60% completion percentage, and for the first half of the season, Russ looked lost. He didn't look comfortable in Nathaniel Hackett's offense, really pushing the ball over the middle of the field, not making the right reads, and of course, you lose two of your best weapons in Javante Williams, plus Tim Patrick, your best tackle, and most importantly, you're in a brand new offense they don't fit in. It shouldn't be a surprise the Broncos played so poorly. With all that we've just laid out, Brandon, Denver this year does not have their first round pick or their second round pick following the Russell Wilson trade. They do, they do not pick until the third round this year's draft. Where do the Broncos go from here this offseason to really upgrade this roster? What are some key areas, key position groups, and what is your expectation moving forward? Denver Broncos don't select until the 67th pick in the um, third round. They actually have back-to-back picks, 67 and 68. Um, so obviously I'm a huge Sean Payton fan. He's a Hall of Fame head coach in my eyes. Uh, offensive genius. Uh, they, they've uh, officially filled out the offensive staff. So Joe Lombardi, I know John loves him from the Chargers, offensive coordinator. I don't think he's going to be – He's not going to be calling plays. It, it's a Sean Payton system. Um, and they officially defensive coordinator is not Rex Ryan. It's not Vic Vangio. It is Vance Joseph, former Vance Joseph. Having former. the time of his life. I don't know where that's from, John. That was an iconic clip in his debut as a Bronco in 2016. Ah. Uh... I don't remember that. Sergio honest. Dip was oh. an ESPN broadcaster, and people made fun. I love that clip. I'm not making fun of Sergio. It's just, it was his biggest moment as the Broncos head coach okay. on Monday yeah, Night was, Football. Yeah. Happy the time of his life. You can see him now on the screen. You remember that? No, I don't. It's <laughs> fine. You can continue on. Not that important oh. at all. Uh, Vance Joseph, defensive coordinator, uh, like John said, former head coach of the Denver Broncos, has spent the last three, four years in Arizona as the defensive coordinator. Uh, not a lot to speak of over there because uh, Arizona's defense has not been very good. Uh, very lacking the talent, really. Um, so what do I think of the Denver Broncos coming this season? I mean, when the news came out that Rex Ryan could have been their defensive coordinator, my ears perked all the way up, eyes wide open, and I was ready to actually change my narrative on them. That has obviously not come to fruition. They but with Vance Joseph, because I guess Rex Ryan, he told ESPN that he would only leave for the perfect uh, opportunity. Mm -hmm. This obviously, I guess, to him was not a perfect opportunity yeah. or perfect fit. So my 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 expectations, my hypeness has kind of dwindled because Vance Joseph is not Rex Ryan. He's still good. 
To be honest with you, though, Brent, we had this discussion. Rex Ryan is more name value being he hasn't coached in six years. Vance has been in the trenches. He has familiarity in the organization. Like Rex Ryan was an amazing head coach for the Jets. Got them to two AFC Championship games. But it's been a while now. And the game changes pretty quick. Yes, we talked about it. That's where you stand. I, I, I just disagree with that. I think that Rex Ryan is not just name value. I think Rex Ryan would have made a massive difference. I think the Denver Broncos could have been battling for the number one defense in the NFL with a Rex Ryan. Uh, but we can disagree on that. That's fine. So my expectations, they're obviously for me, they're probably going to be the third team uh, in the AFC West. The, they're not taking over the Chiefs or the Chargers, right? Mm-hmm, it sure. just depends where they, they fall in that. Can they win games now? Can Sean Payton fix what Russell Wilson's problems were? Can the offense stay healthy? Can it play at a consistent rate? These are all questions that I don't think anybody knows the answer to. I think we all, yeah, I think we all have faith. Sean Payton can call up and scheme up great plays and open, you know, receivers and whatnot. But then the question becomes is, was that the real Russell Wilson going forward that we saw last year? Mm -hmm. Or were some outside things, you know, taking place? Were injuries really more to do than we actually thought was it a combination of everything we're gonna find out the answer to all those questions week one of the nfl season in september for the denver broncos i we're gonna know by october with this team so there's a lot of good with this team first off there is an elite defense and you have an elite head coach you also have a borderline hall of fame quarterback you put those three things together and the X factor is the weapons. Javante is a special player, but coming off a torn ACL, and I believe a torn LCL too. Let me double check that. He's probably not going to be the same player for the first few months. We can expect that. He's probably not Adrian Peterson, I would assume. And then at the wide receiver position, Jerry Judy might be a three <laughs> before he's ever two. And that's not disrespect. He's a special player. But this last year, with Russell's struggles, we saw Judy is not this elite-level weapon or soon to be that everyone's propping up to be. Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, really good second options. They are missing that go-to guy. And with only $12 million in cap space per spot rack, it's not like they have this influx of cash. They can go out to just acquire a, say, Devontae Adams or DeAndre Hopkins. They're going to have to go receiver in the draft. And this is a deep receiver class. But by the time you get to pick 67, Brandon... All of those wide receivers are going to be off the board. Even a Josh Downs from UNC, some of these better, more high-profiled athletes that are going to be taken in day one and early day two, they're not going to be available to the Broncos. So I think Denver is a sleeper to package those two third-round picks to go out and get an early second round and really put themselves in prime position with a young rookie receiver to add as many weapons as you can to this team. For Sean Payton, look, let's not forget that two years ago, with his quarterbacks being um, Jameis Winston, who was the other guy? Ian Book and Taysom, Taysom, Taysom Hill. Hill. He won nine games. And AFC South that had the Buccaneers. Who mm-hmm. <laughs> went to the, the NFC Championship game. Sean Payton is a Hall of Fame coach that has maximized his teams everywhere he's went. And I have a hard time believing he cannot fix Russ Given. Two years ago, or actually one year ago, when Russ requested, or he requested for Sean, for Pete Carroll, and John Schneider to both be fired, and then Sean Payne to replace him the ownership. The Seahawks then look, looked around, pondered his market value, saw he can get two firsts, two seconds, and extra assets. You know what? Russ will actually trade it to the Broncos. So he won Sean Payne a year ago. 
Now he gets Sean Payton. And I think the Russell Westbrook slander, Brandon, we gotta be honest, it's gone too far. A lot of people have made a big deal about him getting his office. When you play like trash, that's wild. But to have your own office with a quarterback is not that crazy. It's a film room, a place for you to study, watch tape. You're watching more than any other player on the team. And some people have used that against him. They've made fun of him all year long. People are just beating down a guy that has had a Hall of Fame career for 10 seasons. He has one bad year and a new system where the head coach doesn't fit him. And look, I'm not saying Russ is the most dynamic, the most versatile quarterback, because he's not. You need to build around him. But when you do build around him, he's an MVP candidate. He is yeah. a franchise quarterback. And it seems like people have suddenly forgot that coming off of one year where everything went wrong in that Broncos offense. Well, yeah, I would uh, 100% agree with that. Like this, I mean, you, you, you slipped up there at the beginning. You said Russell uh, Westbrook, but you meant Russell. I know what you meant. Um, which which part? Did I say that? Yeah, yeah, you did say it right at the beginning. Um, but but Russell Westbrook, it, this isn't a Russell Westbrook situation, though, you know, where it's been like four or five years, you know, different team after different team after different teams, seeing different situations. We know what Westbrook is now. Russell Wilson... We've seen a down year, okay? The last year in Seattle, he dealt with an injury. He put up some pretty good numbers, even with an injury. I think it was to his hand, his throwing hand, if I'm not mistaken. Too. Yeah, 25 TDs numbers. in 14 games. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, had an injury. It came back early, too, I believe, at the end of the season to help them, you know, yeah. fight for a playoff spot. Then came to Denver, and it was a terrible situation, right? Head coach thought they were getting Rodgers. Just a big confuzzle mess up, whatever the hell you want to call it. Now, now, now we're moving into, you know, phase two, hopefully that this is the true phase that we can see. I do think Russell is, uh, Wilson has gotten a little bit of a bad rap. Uh, I still believe he's a top 10 quarterback in this league. I think he's going to prove it this year with um, uh, Respect. Uh, Sean Payton. Yeah. Listen, I had him as, as a top five quarterback coming into this season. He had a down year. I reevaluated. I dropped him down because he had a down year, but I'm not going to put him next to Kirk Cousins or, or Daniel Jones or whatever. I'm not I'm not an idiot, okay? He still has a better football IQ than all those guys, even though it looked like he forgot how to play football last year. But still, yes. So I think Sean can, can do a good job. I just have to see it to believe it. I have to. I need to see if Sean Payne can bring back the Russell Wilson that we all know, uh, that we saw for those 10 years in Seattle where he was an MVP candidate. Uh, he was putting up elite numbers, especially towards the tail end. This guy was he, – he was absolutely ball. I mean, some people forget how how great Russell Wilson's deep ball was one of the best, if not the best, in the game. The spiral, the air, it, it, it was just beautiful to watch it come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm rooting for Russell Wilson. Uh, I root for greatness, and uh, let's do it. Let's go. And I made a, mis- a mistake before. He's never finished top four for MVP, but he has twice, actually three times for Offensive Player of the Year. So that's an important thing to note. Look, he's definitely not perfect. Let me repeat this. The way we talk about Russell Wilson today is a little bit weird to me because, look, I get he's a weird, eccentric character and he's hard to fit, right? Everything needs to be about him. He comes off a little bit as narcissistic maybe to some people, but the reality is he is one of the 10 best quarterbacks of the last decade, right? And he has shown in the playoffs to, to carry teams that had no business making the playoffs, that there's the expectation because he's making all that money, but he's one hell of a player. And I'm not going to let this last year cloud my judgment. The Broncos, to me, next year will be a playoff team. I'm fully expecting them to get back to that level because Sean Payton is in the building. And quite frankly, that defense, Brandon, 
is only going to get better. Patrick Sertain has a case of being the best corner in the league already. Now, there are some questions on that defensive line. Tremont Jones, DJ was huge for them last year at defensive end. They need to bring him back. They can't lose him. They need to retain as many pieces from that defense. And keep in mind, when we talk about their weapons being hurt, Brandon, Justin Simmons, who has been elite-level safety for years now, and really the best player in that defense up until Sertain became that last year, played in a grand total of 12 games. He missed over a month. And that was in the middle of the season when they're struggling and their defense was pretty good, but it could have been even better. So oh. if you get Justin Simmons for a fully healthy season with the added development, you add in a couple of draft picks, maybe to that defensive front, all of a sudden you have an elite top three defense for the entire year to go alongside an offense that will only go up from here. Open. 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 Now, Rock we'll the country. Don't That's do right. it. No, that's, right. that's not the vibe around this offseason. Moving forward, UFC 285 BC. What is the big talking point with this subject? Here we go. UFC 285. The first card of this year, I'm going to be honest, that I am massively pumped for. The last couple pay-per-view cards, have, they've been good. The top fights are, are, are good, great. But the whole card as, as in its entirety was just didn't live up. This is a stacked card top to bottom, T to B. Las Vegas, Nevada, Saturday night, UFC 285. The main event, after a three-plus-year layoff, John Bones Jones, the GOAT, the baddest man on the planet, is returning, and he's debuting at heavyweight. So John Jones, you know, obviously, uh, if you know about this, was a uh, um, uh, light heavyweight before this for the last – I don't know. I think it was 13 years of his uh uh since he started, he debuted 13 13 years, I think 13, 14 years. Uh now he, he is fine. He's he's always, you know, hinted at moving up to heavyweight. He is finally moving up to heavyweight now at age 35. And he is taking on Cyril Gan. Right? But first I want to talk about John John last fought. February 2020. Now, let's all remember February 2020, right? What was different about February 2020 than it is now, John? What 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 happened? The worldwide pandemic didn't crash. Oh, the man. Wasn't life different? Completely different. John Jones has not fought in those last three years, right? He, his, I believe his, his fight was one of the last fights before the pandemic hit. He defended his light heavyweight title that night against Dominic Reyes. Uh, a lot of people thought Dominic Reyes actually won that fight. Uh, I'm one who doesn't believe that. I thought John won that fight. Mm -hmm. And then several months later, he vacated his light heavyweight championship and said he's moving up to heavyweight. Uh, there were a couple of contract disputes in between this three-year timeline where they were trying to make John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. Uh, Francis, the former heavyweight champion of the world, who is now a free agent, uh, that fight is not happening due to Nganu and the UFC not being able to come to terms on a contract. So now you enter Cyril Gan, the man who fought Francis Nganu last January uh, for the heavyweight title. Francis uh, beat him. Gan won, I think, the you would say the first two rounds or whatever. And then uh, after that, Francis kind of just 
war on on Gan, and 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 you saw stuff from Gan that you hadn't seen before. Where where Ngannou was able to take him down with pretty much ease and just lay on top of him, not really do any damage, just lay on top of him for for a majority of the rest of the fight. And Gan not really offer anything up in in resistance, either to get up or show offense. I think he he threw up a couple of leg locks and ankle locks here and there, but they were. They were not the smartest decisions to uh, to make at that point in time that he did it. So he lost that fight, and for, and I should mention Francis was on basically one knee. Uh, he had tore his knee completely, like all the ligaments in his knee. That's why he hasn't fought in last year. He's been getting uh, recovery and the contract negotiations, but mostly the injury. So then gone, you know, takes uh, his time off, obviously, and and he fights in last September. We saw him. In his home country of France, fight Tai Tuavasa, where he got caught once in that fight, got dropped. Tai caught him, uh, wasn't able to get the finish. But uh, the rest of that fight, Cyril Gan was able to pretty much pick apart Tuavasa pretty handedly. Uh, I should say, uh, the the finish was was just bad. It, Tuavasa was just getting beat up everywhere, legs, body, his head. It, it was just. It wasn't a pretty sight to see, especially Tai Tuavasa, who's a big fan favorite. He was just getting pummeled. Um, he was able to get the finish in the third round. So now we enter this fight, and the way I see it playing out is I see John Jones finishing Cyril Gan inside four rounds. I don't think Gan's wrestling is anywhere near Jones's is ability. I think Ganu was able to take you down. And hold and stay on top of you. John Jones is a infinite time better wrestler than Ngannou ever thinks about being. So, and his top game is is insanely nasty. The elbows, the the, the strikes that John has throws, and the ferocity he throws with is just a vicious. Has a very mean intentions in that octagon. So I see John being able to finish. I think he's going to be able to get a takedown. Pretty much with the ease. It'll be interesting to see him at heavyweight, how he carries the extra weight. He said he's going to be weighing in between 245 and 250 for this fight. And he's usually uh, at 205, right? He is usually, uh, uh, he weight cuts to 205, and I think he really steps into the octagon maybe around 220-ish probably. So he's going to be carrying uh, 20, 20 plus more pounds of weight this time. It'll be interesting to see how, he, how his cardio holds up, uh, his endurance, uh, if he's able to, keep that pressure the entire fight that we've known and uh, grown accustomed to for John. I do believe, I don't have any doubts. I think John has done it the right way. Uh, three years, a little too long for me, especially now he's 35. Last time we saw him, he was 32 years old. That's mm -hmm. a, basically the tail end of your prime is kind of, you've kind of wasted. Uh, but I think John is a special, special athlete. Uh, he's the goat for a reason. His fight IQ is second to none in mixed martial arts history. So I, I do believe that he's done it the right way. I think he's packed on the weight the right way, and I think he's going to go in there, and I think he's going to dominate Cyril Gaon. I, I don't think Gaon is going to be able to offer up any any real resistance to John Jones. So John Jones, I believe, is going to be your new heavyweight champion of the world, uh, becoming a not current two-weight uh, division champ, but he has now held the light heavyweight title and the heavyweight title, and he is now, in my opinion, I mean, he's already been the GOAT for years now. Now I think there's no question in anybody's mind. You can't make a case unless you want to talk, you know, put the asterisks for the steroids and whatnot. John Jones is the greatest fighter 
to ever live. And I think across all combat sports, I'm including boxing. When I say the baddest man on the planet, the baddest man to ever live, John Jones would absolutely, no disrespect, Molly Watt, a prime Muhammad Ali in a fight. Mike Tyson. Name the guys. I'm sorry, but when you incorporate wrestling and leg kicks and kicks in general, these guys ain't seeing John. It would be a nightmare. So I'm freaking pumped. I'm excited. I can't wait for John Jones's return. I'm a huge fan. Like I've said to you before, John, the show and everybody watching, I'm a fan of greatness. Hmm. And I just can't wait to see John Jones uh, compete in the octagon. Did you have anything you wanted to say? Yes, a four inch reach is one thing I noticed. 83 and a half to, I think it was 79. The other thing too, John Jones is 26 and one in his career, right? What was the moment that made him, that stamped him as the GOAT in his respective class? And the second question I have is, in the realm of UFC, how many GOATs do we have? Um, so 20, you bring up, uh, first off, you bring up the uh, uh, the reach, uh, 84 and a half for John, which I think is the record or tied for the record for longest reach in UFC and I think mixed martial arts history. That's got seven actually, foot one wingspan. It's actually tied with this, John. Get this. John is 6'4". The, the I think he's tied with Stefan Struff, who is a seven footer fighter. And John is the same reach as that guy, I believe, or they're right there, which is just insane. Um, so you bring up 26 and one, too. Uh, I know you don't obviously know that much about MMA and the history of John. John Jones's one loss is a disqualification mm. uh, where he was dominating a fight against Matt Hamill. Uh, he threw an illegal elbow. And because of actually not even because of the elbow, it was because Matt Hamill's uh, shoulder was torn out of its socket, I believe, and he couldn't continue. And the ref handled it poorly uh, and, and called it a disqualification. It was not a disqualification. John Jones was whooping that man's ass through a bad elbow and got screwed with a disqualification. Okay. He is, he is undefeated. Everybody knows John Jones is a undefeated mixed martial artist. Mm -hmm. That one loss is not a loss. Anyway, listening. I am what you call a casual casual fan. Yes, he is. It's fine. Um, the, the, and, and for me personally, a disqualification is not a loss. It's a disqualification. It's not a win or a loss. You didn't win or lose. You cheated or you, you, you did something to gain a competitive advantage that you're not supposed to do. You're disqualified, not lost or won. I, I don't know why it is considered a loss. Um, but in terms of goat, how many goats are there? You'll, you'll hear goat thrown around in MMA, right? And it's it's really because, like, you know, there's the pound-for-pound pound talk currently. The, 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 there's the goat for who's the goat now, who's the goat overall, who's the greatest female fighter of all time. They're, it's kind of like with any other sport. Like, you know, some people will say the goat is just an over overused term nowadays, right? We all know that. And I think that it's just an overused term, uh, especially in MMA. Uh, they don't really differentiate best of best currently. Like, you know how they say the best player in the world for NBA. That's what we're talking about right now. And then when yeah. we talk GOAT, we talk, you know, everybody in the past. MMA doesn't do very well at that. They'll just call. Uh, and, and also UFC is, is is sneaky with it. They're very, they're run very much like a pro wrestling organization where if you're fighting. So GSP was the greatest welterweight of all time. Everybody knows that. When he was fighting for the UFC, that's what they labeled him. Since he is retired, when Kamaru Usman was going on his reign, they started to call him the greatest welterweight of all time. 
it's what they do. It's sneaky. It's it's they want to portray this guy currently who is currently fighting for them on their active roster as this you know bigger than life, larger than life person. So fan are like, oh wow, I'm witnessing you know the great because maybe I'm a new fan. UFC is still a you know early sport, growing sport. It's only. 30 it's actually this is the 30th anniversary of the ufc this year is the 30th anniversary so it's a very early sport always new fans coming in so they try and trick their new fans who you know don't watch old fights and look up the stuff but john is the goat he's the number one grows the greatest of all time really the only argument would be he used steroids and if you want to create a double list where steroids non-steroids that's whatever Everybody used steroids back then. It's fine. And and I have a different take on John Jones in, in, in that case, but we won't get into that now. Um, next up, we got the co-main event. Speaking of other goats, <laughs> Valentina Shevchenko, the flyweight champion. Uh, she is one of the greatest female fighters of all time. Uh, probably technique-wise, talent-wise, the the best of all time. You know how we talk about Rodgers and Mahomes and, and, and those guys. She's kind of like that. Amanda's the goat, but Valentina's looked at as technically she is just a an assassin, John. Okay, I'm I'm not kidding when I say this. I I I truly would not be shocked if Valentina Shevchenko is a spy. Okay, this woman is unbelievable at what she does. She speaks like six or seven different languages. She's an absolute beast in the cage. Her technique is second to none. She she fights kind of like a robot where it's just computing information, computing information. And this is she she's fighting Alexa Grasso, the sixth ranked flyweight in the world, who I'm a big fan of Alexa. Uh uh I, I'm really um uh, I really like to see her rise come up. Uh Valentina is looking to defend her title for the eighth time. Uh th- this is this is gonna be a tough fight for for Grasso. Uh since coming up to flyweight, she's 4-0, but I do believe she needed to get one more fight against the top five uh, flyweight mm-hmm. to get ready for this fight, but she got offered it because of how much Valentina has ran through this division. Alexa, guess what? You're, ne- you're, you're next up. Your name has now been called. Your number has been called. You are now uh, up for Valentina. So it's, it's, it's going to be tough for her. I'll say this, if it's a, a Grosso is a, a Mexican-born fighter, inc- very good in the stand-up, boxing especially. She has developed a pretty good ground game. She's improved it in her wrestling, her wrestling defense, her offense on the ground, her submission game. She has improved on that, uh, but her bread and butter is the stand-up game, especially boxing. If it's a stand-up fight, I expect this to be an, an incredibly exciting and entertaining fight, uh, but I don't believe it's going to be a stand-up fight. Valentina is a woman who is going to, and she alluded to it in her pre-fight press conference. She knows your weaknesses. She's going to fight you. The, the term I like to use is the path of least resistance. Why would I go at you where you're strongest? You know, I, I, I believe that, you know, I'm speaking as Valentina right now. I believe that my striking is better than yours. But you are a very good striker, and I'll give you your respect as an athlete and a competitor. Why would I fight you there and give you that slight chance, that slight belief that you can beat me when I can clinch you, take you down, and finish you? I think back to the Jessica Andrade fight, if anybody has seen that. This is what I believe that that fight will emulate. She's going to look to clinch her, take her to the ground, and either crucifix her with the nasty elbows or get a submission victory. Uh, 
yeah, I, 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 I hope it's stand-up fight because it'll be more entertaining, but I don't believe so. I think Valentina's going to look to try and get the finish. Next up, uh, just some other fights to highlight. We got Shavkat, sorry, Shavkat, Shavkat Rachmanov. Sorry if I butchered that. Um, it's the number 10th ranked welterweight in the world. He's undefeated from Kazakhstan, 16-0. and John, all of his fights have ended in finish. He's finished every single one of his opponents. All right, 16-0. His UFC debut, he was able to beat a veteran and cowboy Alex Oliveira. If you've watched MMA, you you know him. He's he's a, he's he's a good fighter. He's not great or anything, but he's a good veteran. Uh, and he was able to sub him in the first round. His latest fight was against Neil Magny, a perennial gatekeeper in the welterweight division, top fifteen. He was able to sub him in the second round. Uh, he's going on against Jeff Neal. Uh, Jeff Neal is a very good stand-up fighter has power that can change a fight. But I, I just think um, Shavkat is going to mix it up very well. And I think he's going to be able to get the finish. Uh, I'll be very shocked if, if Neil is able to um, win this fight. I, I just don't really see a path to victory, uh, but I do expect a pretty exciting fight there. Next up, we got uh, Gamrot, seventh ranked lightweight in the world, short notice fight taking on Jalen Turner. Uh, Turner was supposed to be fighting Dan Hooker. He suffered an injury, so enter Gamrot, who's taking a little bit of a risk. Uh, he, he's coming off uh, uh, a loss in October to Benil Dariush. Mm. Uh, he, he It's a short-notice fight. He's the higher-ranked fighter. He's 7. Turner is 10. Uh, and and that, that that's just risky. You don't really see that. So respect to Gamrot for taking this fight. Uh, it's going to be tough. Listen, Jalen Turner is at 155 is 6'3". That you, I mean, John Jones is six four, mm -hmm. uh, people. So th this man is a tall one fifty five. He's and got a, five nine. Yeah, get five nine. Yes, and 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 Turner's got a seventy seven inch reach to Gamrot's seventy one. So it's going to be interesting. Now the the height could play a little bit of a factor in terms of it's going to be easier for Gamrot to to get the legs, get a hold of the legs. What's going to be more difficult is probably getting the takedown. The balance of those long limbs is going to, you know, you're more balanced usually on one leg when you got those long ass limbs. You can bounce up and down and whatnot. You can get the arm to the ground while still kind of being up. So that's going to be tough for Gamrot to get that, but I do expect an exciting fight. And, and um, it'll be real interesting. Gamrot is, is 21 and two. His only two losses are by decision. So Turner's going to, you know, if he wants to create a name for himself, you go finish a guy like Gamrot, that, that's major, huge. major big time. Is that a big time uh, upset? Is that it, the upset you're predicting? I, I don't – hold on. I think – it could be – listen, Turner's plus 180. Hmm. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I I, I, I don't want to make a confirmed bet on that because I, I just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So, but listen, anything is possible. Uh, another fight that is going to be very exciting – to wrap up the pay-per-view talk is the UFC debut of one Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel is being categorized as the next big thing, a future contender, possible future superstar in this sport, a standout wrestler in high school and Penn state. And if you know about Penn state, they're next level when it comes to almost any sport. Uh, especially wrestling and, and except football. basketball. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> but they they are I do believe they are the the most winning winning winningest uh, collegiate team in the last decade, if I'm not mistaken, in in, in their entire sports. Um, Bo Nickel, you gotta watch it. I mean, he's three and zero. Okay, he's only had three pro MMA fights. Uh, I don't know how many amateur fights he's had. He had two fights on the Dana White Contender Series. He was uh, able to pretty much dominate both of them. Uh, his it, it, yeah. So th- 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 this is three and zero, John. His first fight, uh, he won in thirty three seconds by knockout. His second fight in the Dana White Contender Series, he won in a minute and two seconds by submission. His third fight, his second fight on the Dana White Contender Series, he won in round one in fifty two seconds. Okay. He's taking on a guy in Jamie Pickett, and I feel bad for Jamie Pickett because he's being fed to a young, hungry lion who is looking to burst onto the scene with a lot of eyeballs going to be watching because of John Jones's return. Mm-hmm. Bo Nickel is opening up this pay per view. I truly believe if he dominates this fight, he's getting a top 15 guy probably next. And then I could see him. If everything goes well, John, I could see him getting a title shot at 185. Earliest, mid-2024, latest, end of 2024. If everything goes right, this kid's 3-0. Because I think that they're going to push him. Everybody needs to watch Bo Nickel. Listen, you can go watch all three of his fights. They literally last less than three minutes combined. Um, He's next level when it comes to wrestling. His grappling is, he ain't no slouch in the grappling department. He has faced a guy named Gordon Ryan, who is one of the, the best jiu-jitsu practitioners in 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 the world today and it took gordon ryan i think 20 something minutes to get bo nickel and submit him that's ludicrous so people watch out for bo nickel remember the name this is the next big time bo two sport uh athlete taken after a man of name of bo jackson bo nickel i think is is He's being credited. This kid is is the next big thing. It doesn't take long to notice that he's a uh, amazing wrestler, and like even I, as a casual UFC fan, it'll take me a little bit longer to notice these trends. But at Penn State, he was dominant. Um, this is going to be pretty exciting. Third, talked about his it's four it's his debut, but it's his fourth pro fight at twenty seven years old. Do you know it just took him five years to finally, after getting through the Dana White series, to get here? Is that usual? For your debut at 27, for someone that's being proclaimed as he had a great career at Penn State as the next big contender. Um, Lee Bloomer. Well, this saying. doesn't this doesn't usually happen uh, like this. It's 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 rare. Um, the last person you could probably think of is maybe a Brock Lesnar, um, and Brock had cachet because he had um, you know dominated in high school, did very well uh, in college. And then the WWE snatched him up in the early 2000s. He became a massive star for the WWE, left there, um, tried out for freaking uh, the Minnesota Vikings, almost made the team. I think he was on the last cut for week four of the preseason, which is just, if <laughs> I think he was in his mid to late 20s. Bro hadn't played football since high school, and he almost made the Minnesota Vikings professional football team, ladies and gentlemen. That's insane. People, as coaches were saying, if this guy took football serious early, he would have been a star in the NFL. 
Then he moved to the UFC, had a couple of uh, MMA fights. Then he moved to the UFC and he was able to become UFC world heavyweight champion in, I think, three or four fights. Bo Nickel, it, it's taken him this long because he had an extensively long uh, wrestling career. Uh, and he just turned into a, you know, a mixed martial artist in the last couple of years. But I think he's been training for a, a pretty good while. He trains at uh, ATT, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, South Florida. But no, you don't see it's 3-0, 27, and, uh, 27 years old. It, it doesn't happen that often. He's being proclaimed as the next big thing because of his wrestling pedigree. Uh, and I think you're probably going to see a lot more of these guys uh, coming in the future wrestling. I think ATT, actually, the gym that he's at, opened up a facility like almost right near Penn State, if I'm not mistaken, uh, where now that they can funnel the wrestling talent that comes out into MMA. So... You know, it's going to be very interesting to see the next, you know, 10, 15 years uh, of the wrestling. Go ahead. So how is Pickett on the ground Pick as a wrestler? I mean, he's a, he's, he's an okay fighter, you know, thir 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 13 and 8. I'm not super familiar with them. Uh, you can look at his record. He's 0-3. Uh, his Three of his losses are by dis uh, submission. He's never gotten a submission win. Uh, he's on a two-fight losing streak, uh, both by finish. He he truly is being fed to Bo Nickel. Um, yeah, it's it's just not going to be pretty. I, I, you you can see the writing on the wall. He's being fed. Listen, if he's able to, if he's able to do anything, you know, in terms of get success on Bo Nickel, I'll I'll be pretty shocked because I'm a big believer in this kid, Bo Nickel. From what I've seen, his own, his, you know, very short sample size, but that's what he goes for. He's gonna go for. You know, he's going for the takedown. Can you stop the takedown? Most likely not. But yeah, I was trying to find the uh, the what's my call the line for this. I couldn't quite find it. Oh, oh, I got it for you. Um, Bo Nickel is a minus sixteen hundred favorite. Jamie Pickett is plus nine hundred. Hmm. Uh, so I mean, if you're you know a guy out there that says anything's possible, go ahead and throw you know ten bucks on Jamie Pickett. But it's just not going to work. Bo Nickel is being. Proclaimed, like I said, if, if Jamie Pickett's able to get any offense, I'll be pretty shocked. I think this fight probably goes maybe two or three minutes. Really? Yeah, I think uh, I just when when Bo Nickel, from what I've seen, obviously, when he gets the takedown, it, he does not waste time down there looking for the finish. He's not one of those guys that's going to lay on top of you and grind you. He's a guy that's looking to get the finish. So. Jamie Pickett might leave himself out of position trying to get up, grab the neck. It's over. Uh, just a couple other fights on the prelims to highlight. Cody Garbrandt, one of my favorite fighters, is, is returning after taking the last year off. He's been on a pretty bad fight skid, former UFC champion, but uh, he's fighting uh, Trevin Jones, a pretty unknown, unknown fighter. Uh, rooting for Cody out here. I love Cody Garbrandt. Uh, you got Derek Brunson versus uh, Driscus uh, Duplacis. Duplacis is coming off a big win over Darren Till. Uh, shout out Darren Till, who actually just asked for his release from the UFC. Uh, hoping and, and you know praying for good things for Darren Till. Uh, hope to see him again. Uh, and then you got uh, Amanda Shri Amanda Rebos is fighting. She's always a fun fight to to watch. And uh, Ian Gary, a young Irishman uh, who's being uh, you know looked at as somebody who can be a, a future contender in mm -hmm. this sport. He's looked pretty good lately. So just a, a, a couple of names to keep your eye out uh, in the prelim department. It's it's a pretty stacked card all the way through. I cannot wait for Saturday night. 
It's going to be awesome. Bo Nickel, Valentina, John Jones. Get ready. It's going to be a movie. You heard it here first with BC. That was everything you need to know about UFC 285. And with all that out of the way, anything else? Anything else? No, not Kevin right Durant made his debut as a Phoenix Sun he yesterday. Did make his debut. And as you would expect, Brandon, against Charlotte, they got a, a pretty, pretty win. He did pretty good. 20 points. It's quite clear that this Suns team from the mid-range is unstoppable. And in the postseason, right, we talked about Jokic early in the show. If there's one kryptonite to him, it would be mid-range shot-making, as we've seen in the past. The top two teams of the Western Conference, all three of us agreed, are Denver and Phoenix. And I think this year's conference finals will be an absolute grudge match between two teams that are so good at what they do, but one Phoenix is a much better matchup than the other. Peyton is a, not Peyton, Aiton is a fine post defender versus Jokic. And I think for those Suns, man, they got 20 games to figure things out, galvanize the troops, and figure out that starting small forward spot. Chasha Kogi, man, I was hyping him up, and he had a zero field goal mix and four points. He went over. Yeah. It's okay. I'll take his larger stretch. Still one, but it's a pretty exciting time. That and the Mavericks have lost five, six games like we talked about early in the show. Dude, I don't know what's going on with the Mavericks, but it's not looking great right now. Their yeah, clutch you know. offense does not have the right gel. They've benched Josh Green for Justin Holiday, which is ugly. They just lost the Pacers at home. Are we serious? Like... We know what's going on, John. It doesn't. It doesn't work. This matchup doesn't work. But they right. just got Maxi Kleba back off his. They don't have. Injury. They don't have. They don't have a good, you know, defense. They had Maxi Kleba. You want a cookie? And Reggie Bullock. That's nice. And Josh Green. That's doing nothing for me. Well, because this that was the majority work. of their parts in last year when they were a top you ten. You also want, if you want to if you also want to look at well, not right now. Um, if you also want to look at the fourth quarter stats. Seems Jason Kidd has made his mind up that uh, Kyrie is the closer of this team. I don't know what Jason Kidd's doing, dude. Don't know how Luca <laughs> feels about that. Well, I think Luca's a team player, and he's happy to have Kyrie, so he's welcome and willing to embrace maybe a complimentary role at times and just make the right play. If that means Kyrie takes the last shot, he takes the last shot. Kyrie is an NBA champion, an Olympic gold medalist. Kyrie has the gravitas to take the last shot, and yeah, so does no, Luca. 100%, but, you know, this is Luca's team. It is. Oh, it is. And, I mean, if it, I, I was just looking at I, – I don't disagree with that. I was just saying, dive into the – I know, you know, you like looking at numbers. Dive into the numbers of the fourth quarter since they've played with each other and look at how many shots Kyrie's getting. Look how many shots Luca's getting. It's a very big, you know, disparity dis, – dis, gap. It's disparity is the word disparity. you're looking for there. You're trying to toggle through. Yeah, Listen, I, it's just not looking. I, 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 I predicted this from the start. It's not going to work. It's not a good fit. You don't think they can, with 20 games left, figure out this clutch offense? That's the issue. Of these five losses, all five have been within nine points or less. Two points, three, three, five, nine. Like, they literally need to figure that out. And once that's sorted through, there is not a team that at their peak is more deadly offensively. When, the, when it rains this Mavericks team, Bryn, it pours and no one can beat them. But hell, when it when it's when it's not pouring, oh god, is it I disagree with that. Desert. I I disagree with that. I think the Suns offensively can match it. 
I think the uh, the the Nuggets offensively can match it. I think the Warriors at full strength can offensively match it. And uh, two out of those, the Denver, you know, a little bit less than the other two, but the the Suns and um, the Warriors have better defenses than, than Dallas right now. So. so you made a point. Kyrie is taking more shots in the fourth quarter than Luka Doncic. What's up with that? And their loss versus the Pacers in the fourth quarter. Luka in the fourth took three shots. Kyrie took eight. In their fourth quarter debacle, a 27-point absolute collapse, Kyrie took seven in the fourth. Luka took five. They each had six points. We then shift to their nine-point Denver loss, where Kyrie did not play, and we can kind of throw that aside. Mm -hmm. How about their loss versus the Minnesota Timberwolves by three points, where there's the infamous play of Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Anthony Edwards, switching onto those two guards and shining down the final possession. Well, in that game, Kyrie took 12 shots in the fourth quarter, made 11 of them, by yes. the way, 26 in the fourth, which is pretty crazy, and yeah. Luka took one shot. Hey, look, when the man's cooking, we'll, yeah. let him, we'll let him cook. And the last game against the Kings, a five-point loss, 133-128. to 128. Game went to overtime. The Kings pulled through. Well, Kyrie took 12 shots, and Luka took 7. Kyrie finished with 14. Luka finished with 6. Yeah. Listen, I'm not saying if Kyrie got the hot hand, let him cook, right? And I'm not saying Kyrie doesn't deserve to take, you know, shots in the fourth quarter or sometimes take more or or take the last shot. He's earned that right. He's Kyrie freaking Irving. All I'm saying is this was Luka's team. This still is Luka's team. You do not think that Luka is – those are how many games in a row have they played together that it's not like it's going back and forth or, you know, you go – it's it's pretty apparent Kyrie is getting more of the work in the fourth quarter. Do you think Luka's okay with that? Like, maybe he's okay with it for now. If this continues, I don't see how he's going to be okay with taking a back seat to Kyrie Irving every single time. Like, once in a while, I think he's fine with it. But every time, it, it's it just that's what helped the Cavaliers come back from a three-one deficit in the finals. What Kyrie taking over? Kyrie going hand in hand with LeBron, you know. Oh, and that's what you, yeah, going back and hand. Yes, yeah, that's what they need to fi figure out. And I mean, there's that infamous play. Um, I think the their first game together late in the fourth quarter where they basically play hot potato with the ball. That was time before where Jenny McDaniels yeah. and Ant switched yeah. onto them and locked them up. Neither of them wanted to take the shot. That's the so sound of selflessness, isn't it not? So much selflessness, yeah, sure. Why are you laughing like that? Like, Luke is not this elite-level playmaker. It sets up his teammates to yeah. thrive. He makes all of his teammates better, and that's going to include Kyrie, as we've seen. Uh -huh. The gravity of those two playing off what one another is pretty awesome. Seen? What's their record together? Oh, boy. I don't trust him, man. It's 1-5. Yeah, it is. So, I, I mean... Or technically not together, because Kyrie missed one of those games. Okay, well, still, they're not winning games. games, all right. And they've got to talk... I mean, dude, they... they they play the Sixers uh, tonight, right? They got to deal with Embiid. Oh, God. Who's guarding Embiid Embiid on that team, John? Oh, Dwight Powell. Yeah. Oh, they play the Suns. They got KD and Aiton to deal with. I'm not as worried about that matchup because Maxi Kleba's back. Um, yeah, sure. Maxi Kleba's a quality defender. Now, he's coming off a torn hamstring muscle, which he should not be playing this soon, which is kind of crazy he is. 
But he looked good. He had a monster dunk, and the crowd went crazy. He had nine points last night. Went four or two nights ago versus the Pacers. Four of six. Kleba is a really good starting player. Really good defender that complements those two guys. I think between him and Josh Green, once he comes back into the starting lineup, the Mavericks defensively can hold up on the perimeter, and they can limit some drives. It's just a matter of, damn, dude, once you get to the paint, it's done with. Like, yeah. Dwight Powell is not a starting center. By this, this, this month, the first game of March, they play the Sixers and beat, obviously. Yeah. Middle of March, they have to play the Lakers in L.A., Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. And then the end of March, the last game of their March schedule, they go to Philly and play and beat in the Sixers again. Those, I think, I'm honestly penciling as three. Definitely the Sixers are losses. Yeah. The Lakers, if it, it's a it's a winnable game for them, but if AD goes off like I think we all expect him, he should in that type of game. Mm-hmm. I don't see that that they they can beat the Lakers. They can. If the if AD goes off, what if Luca goes off? He can go off. He will. And then he'll you know won't shoot in the fourth quarter and Kyrie will shoot. That and Jared Vanderbilt and Anthony Davis will put him in a straight jacket. With all that being said, Carmelo's going off in the back. He's tired of the debate. With all that being said, we'll wrap up episode number 80 of the Wise Guest Podcast. Jerry Jerry Rice's number, not Jerry Rice. Yeah, shout out Jerry Rice. With all that being said, we'll see you next time. Next time. Stay glad.